Welcome to the Corey and Kai Podcast, presented by Cedar Run Decoy Company. Built on honoring traditions and focused on conservation. You can find us at cedarrundecoys.com, Facebook, and Instagram. Be sure to rate us and subscribe to the Corey and Kai Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or any other podcast platform you listen through. You guys have a good fourth? Do anything special? You're probably all, you were probably getting ready for the event. Yeah, I was going to say, then, right? we're out running equipment on the fourth, uh, went and watched fireworks afterwards and just hung out at home. That was really it. My typical day, running dogs, <laughs> ran dogs, and then me and the fiance hung out at the pond, training pond. Do you get days off? Like, I mean, I'm thinking about like anybody who has to deal with. That's a lot animals like and especially other people's animals yeah it's it's seven days a week for me most of the time i mean i will take a day or i'll take off early i have philip and cody that can handle and run the the kennel by themselves okay but for the most part i'm there every day wow that's a lot of work Uh, and a lot of time the money is not only for the training i mean there's animal care i mean that's that's the most important thing if the animals aren't healthy I mean, you think about, yeah, like if you, if you leave it, the rest of us leave on vacation or something, we have somebody watch our, our pets, right? They're paying. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the going rate is, but we typically would pay like 20 bucks a day, 15, 20 bucks a day for somebody to, for (laughs) like a neighborhood kid to come over and like, like feed your dog. Right, right. I'm going to have to talk to my daughter. I've been paying her a hundred dollars a day. Oh my. (laughs) No, 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 no. That's way too much. Way but too still, much. you think about that. Okay, so a week, you know, you're into it for 100, 125 bucks or whatever. Yeah, um, it's a little bit different at my house because I do take kennel dogs home with me. Like I okay. have, I keep all the stud dogs at my house. Um, I do have a female with a litter of pups at my house right now, although we're transitioning back to uh, doing that at the kennel. Okay. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of dogs at my house. There's a lot of care that goes into it. So it's, you know, yeah. I just think about all of it because like I just joke because my, my wife texted me earlier. She's not, she likes animals, not a huge dog person, but she likes them. And I've told you found Ford on the side of the road and she was like, I can't stand him. <laughs> Shoes everything up. I mean, we're, it's so to, to know your love for dogs, you know, you have to love them because Michelle just. It's a lot of work. A, yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, because I mean, we've got puppies at the house. I've got two six month old ones. But the nice thing is, my fiance has taken one of them because, like, we talked uh, occasionally, there's people that'll buy a dog and they don't want the dog until it's ready to hunt. So this one has been staying with me at my house. My fiance took it while it was a puppy. She took it to work with her, socialized it and everything. That's part of the whole process, the crate training and everything. So I'm very fortunate. My fiance is very much into this as much as I am. And we do have a lot of dogs. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's 1030 and you're ready just to go to bed. And you're like, Oh, wait a minute. We got to let all these dogs out to go to the bathroom. That's what I think about. Like when you're, you know, you're over at someone's house or you're having dinner somewhere or whatever. You're like, Oh, we got, sorry, we got to go. We got to get home and, let the dogs out or whatever. Like that's just a constant yes. in your life. Like, it, I mean, it's, and, and I guess there's very few, I mean, other than being like a farmer, right? Livestock, if you had a cattle farmer or whatever, is there that type of lifestyle, right? Like where 
someone's job requires them to do that. Yes. Even cattle, though, you, they're pretty self-sufficient yeah. once you yeah. have them out there. Whereas these dogs, they, they rely on you to let. I mean, we don't, I guess if you had a kennel with outdoor runs and they could go out and go to the bathroom on their own. Right. But for us here in Michigan, we felt like a fully enclosed uh, kennel would okay. be best with the winners and everything. So it, it does require us to be there quite often, though. And even after me, Cody, or Philip leave, Don comes back in usually every night unless the dog's out at night. So wow. somebody's back there at 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night letting dogs out for the night, and then somebody's back there at 6, 30, 7 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Year-round. 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 How long have you been doing it now? I've been doing it full-time for, I think, six years now. Okay. Full-time. And I've been training 11 or 12 years. Yeah. So I was working full-time job and training. Because we met side. about six years, five, six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We should probably introduce who we're talking to. I mean, I like to get an hour, hour and a half in before we actually tell people. Oh, that's (laughs) the best part. They can think about it. Well, just to add on to that, I I think some of that stuff is the most valuable part of the dog training. So a lot of times people talk about, you know, retriever work, blind retrieves and all that. But all of that home stuff of can you wait but to get released? Can you go through a doorway? I mean, that's all that stuff that if the dog performs great in the field, that's good. But how much field time do you have as opposed to home time? So a dog that can be behave in the home, not chew up everything, not carry dirty socks around the house nonstop. That's, that's probably the most valuable thing. If not for you, probably your spouse. Right. Yeah. The socializing aspect. I mean, if, if those dogs being brought out to see other people, other dogs, just different places. I mean, that's huge. I never did that with my first one and I regret it because he can't really be around other dogs. He's too territorial. Whereas this other one, I mean, I'm taking him to work and all this stuff and it's, it's cool to see. And it's a huge asset. That makes for a more confident animal in the end. I mean, even the ones that would be borderline confident, right? If you do that a lot with them, it definitely helps them progress through. The analogy I'm thinking of right now is kind of like your kids when they're in preschool and kindergarten, we're just taking them to school. So they learn how to be in school. Yeah. Right? They, so, so they can learn how to learn. And it's like, that's how I envision like that. Those initial months, you know, where the puppy is like, you're almost trying to get it. So it can focus on learning, right? Like it can, it does have that basis to go into the classroom yes. and learn um, because you're not trying to, you're not getting frustrated with it and angry in the house because it's not doing what it should there, you know, and that just carries over into the field where you're yelling at it and you're, um, yeah, it's, that's a good point for sure. Is that, that, that obedient stuff and that basic like household manners. Yeah. You know? So who do we got? We got, uh, Wally from Southern Kennels North. How do you pronounce your last name? Shalau. Shalau. Yes. Okay. I'll remember that. Yeah. What's the order? I I mean, I always, I, I'm always curious. I'm like the or, origin yeah. of it because it's different. I honestly haven't looked into it too much. I mean, I'm, they're over in uh, Poland. There's okay. some, some Shalows. Okay. So okay. I, I've seen that on Facebook and I get those friend requests. So, okay. um, yeah, I'm, other than that, I, I would say German and uh, okay. Poland. And then do we, you, well, do you accept the friend requests though? That's <laughs> I see them. <laughs> You just let them hang out there for a while. Uh, I'm yeah. not real good with that stuff. Yeah. So. Neither am I. And we got Mike Clements. Mike that, Clements. Clements. Yep. Yeah. I just, uh, I'm terrible. Clem- with, Clement. Is it Clements? Clements. Clements. Just Clements. Clements. All together. Clements. Yeah. A lot of times I hear Clement and they drop the S or Clements. I read just it. Yeah. 
It's Clements. Clements. Like almost with a C instead of a T. Yeah. Like a C. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, I gotcha. All right. <laughs> Mike or Michael? It doesn't matter. Uh, Mike's probably most common, I okay. guess. Okay. And I've known you for a, a little while now. I've yeah. met you a few times. This is my first introduction to Wally, but I would say me and Wally should have met a while ago. <laughs> like years ago, I know. It's like... Hey, you need to get down to Southern Oak Kennels. You need to talk to those guys. You guys should know each other. So it's good to meet you and have you in the, in the shop tonight yeah. or today. And I, I'm, you know, interested in learning more about Mike and kind of your backstory a little bit too. Because I know a little bit of Wally, but when you and Corey were talking earlier about kind of the, the field work that you've been doing down at the, oh, um, yeah. the compound and you just, the knowledge that you guys both have. I just, I love with, uh, like the grasses and yeah, just the, the, uh, wildlife habitat management work. And, and so just to give you guys a little bit of background, um, Mike and Wally are working together on a a super retriever series event that's happening down at, uh, Brandon Srecki from bosses duck. We'll call it duck farm, duck club. What do you want to call it? A duck Duck farm. It was formerly a duck club, a duck farm. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think you guys are farming ducks. Yeah, I right? like. I think we are too. Yeah, right. <laughs> Trying uh, to. Um. So you guys are running that this this upcoming weekend, and so I wanted to get you on here to talk a little bit about that, but then also talk about dog training because we haven't really focused on that in the podcast. Yeah. And I'm excited. I've got tons of questions. Tons. <laughs> We're going to kick it off with force fetch. No, <laughs> no, no here just we go. Just kidding, but that might come yeah, up. Yeah, e-collars and force fetch. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's going to be a ton of questions from both Kai and I because we've yeah. got younger dogs and we're, you know, we're trying to do it yourself training and you guys both have tons of experience. And uh, um, so that's why we got you on and we'll kind of step through stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So well, we can start with the Super Retriever yeah, let's Series. Let's start with that. Yeah. We'll do like a little uh, overcap. So the Super Retriever Series was kind of bred out. It was originally the ESPN Outdoor Games in the early 2000s, 01, 02, something like that. And they were, I believe the original intent was to come up with like a master game that covered all the venues because you have field trials, which is a, we'll call it white coat, big distances, really, uh, really difficult concepts, right? Really advanced dog work. Not anything that generally, if you're in a duck blind, you could just take that dog and go do. You have to train for it, and they have to be really talented. Then you have hunt tests, uh, which were balanced between HRC, Hunter Hunter Retriever Club, and uh, AKC organization. Really, UKC, HRC, and then the AKC hunt test. So that's more more hunting-based. HRC was founded in the hunting world, and then AKC is very, very similar. Some minor changes, but they're more marks and blinds are going to be 200 yards or in, and there's... There's definitely a massive rule book for each one of them of what each level requires, but standardized tests to go through it. So on the Super Retriever Series, they balance all that. So you'll have four series total, and it's almost like a fight club fight club rule set. You know, you get it, get it go to HRC, and it's probably 60-page long rule book, and you go to SRS, and I think it's like four pages. Oh, really? Like the only rules is there is no rules. <laughs> um, so, so you have a like a hunt test series and a field trial series to give all your dogs because you're usually heavy one way, right? right? Wally and I are, I would say we're just hunt testers. That's that's it. Um, but you got to be able to succeed in the field trial world as well. Um, and then you'll have like a hunt savvy one and then kind of a wild card series. 
So all your dogs run, they're just scored on their ability to execute the test and low score wins like golf, the better the dog, the better the score. And at the end of the day, they have a top six placement. So it's a really fun way to take standardized tests of hunting dogs, uh, hunt test dogs, kind of compete with all your buddies and then bring in that outside influence of, I mean, we've all been hunting and had six birds drop, which you can't have in a hunt test. Like it's not allowed even at the highest level. Well, we in the SRS, we can do that. <laughs> and you just kind of, the best dog wins. Like whoever picks oh, it up the cool. cleanest. Um, that's cool. Or run off rough, tough stands. And you could put out so a thousand snow goose decoys if you wanted to. I mean, just whatever you want. It's like kind of like a triathlon type thing. Like you're getting the, like at the end of the day, you're looking for the best overall. Yeah. Dog. He can't just be a field trial. Like you can't just, ex- are they all weighted equally? The different yeah, tests? Different cl- Oh. Yeah, well the, well, the first two series, the whole goal is we want everybody to play and run. You want all your hunt testers, field trialers are in between, okay. run and play. And then what you do is you cut to the top 12 dogs. Okay. So whoever did the best yep. between those both two, they're going to kind of go into the crazier scenarios okay. where you don't really know what you're going to get. You could be like doing a field trial setup, but dressed in camouflage, running a gun. Or maybe you're not running a gun, you know, in a weight coat, and you're doing a really short setup where dogs may think other stuff. Or run out of a blind. I've seen them run out of boats. Um, so those last two will just go into the hunting okay. style. Is there any like um, hunt tests or something that you need to pre-qualify to get into an SRS kind of um, competition? Do you call it a, what is it considered? Is it like a competition? I say or? it's competition when there's yeah. a placement. It's yeah. a, that's yeah. fair. It's a competition. Uh, no, there's no there's no requirement to it, which is interesting because it opens up the door for anybody uh, which i find intriguing because there's all the people in the world that go i have the best duck dog i don't need them to do any of those hunt tests and it's like well come sign up then but what's the field trial test guy you know like that argument you hear a lot too yeah field trial dog they can't hunt you know and then this is a way to kind of show like hey no my dog is a field trial dog but can also well i was watching on the way here i was watching a youtube video of like the 2022 i think it was 2022 recap of the srs video and it was some of the guys with um they had their their dog blind next to like their layout quote unquote and they were just like getting all pissed at them at the dog because the dog would just sit in the kennel but then come out and wasn't listening wasn't paying attention to anyone and it almost seemed like he was he was out of his own element. It was a really Was that a weird field trial dog that was I don't know. It was just okay. like a highlight reel, but he <laughs> they didn't look It's to encourage those with dogs like that to come out and That's what yeah. I'm saying. You got a shot. Look yeah. at what this dog's doing. Well, I mean, that's a fun part and why I enjoyed the SRS so much. Because in the HRC and AKC, it's it's just the same thing, different weekend, different setup, yeah. but you get three marks in a blind or you know what you're getting. With SRS, you really don't know and what I really enjoyed is you go watch these pros with, I mean, that have done it for a lifetime, right? And they go out and uh, I watched a 13-time grand champion dog, like the best of the best of the best, go out on the very first bird of the very first series. And the handler is like, they're dogs, man. Like, yeah. they just happen. And maybe, so. that, maybe that was the scenario because there was no word. There, it was just like a video. Of the recap, I'm like, what is going? But on? it sums up the whole all right. dogs and dogs yeah. training, dog training of like it's just everybody. I don't, I don't care if you're a pro, an amateur, right. first dog, thirtieth dog. They all have bad days and they just do weird stuff. Sometimes they make you look really good, and they're like, I, I know we've been at hunt tests before. They're like, man, he done really good. And like you should have seen him yesterday because yeah. I didn't think he was going to get the first bird. And then also you went into it like they're just firing on all cylinders. 
And then they show up and they're like, I don't know if that dog knows what a whistle is today. Like they yeah. just, oh, yeah. they're dogs. I mean, uh-huh. we know that like having dogs and just doing your own backyard training stuff, you're like, man, you were acing this last week. What is going on today? You know, just not focused or, or I yeah. brought Roosevelt up uh, north this weekend. We've got a pond by our cabin up there. And I was like, it's the first time he's been back on water for a little while. And it's like, what are you doing? Dude, like it was, it was, it's very frustrating. But then you're like, I ah, just let him have fun with it today. You know, yep. come they, back tomorrow and he'll be They have their fine. good days and bad yeah. days, just like everybody else. Right. And they, they forget things. I mean, there's every, all the time, every year, you always, always have to go back over the water training, especially being up here in Michigan. The Northern guys, you always have to go back over water training and revisit that stuff. But yeah, as far as the SRS stuff, it, I haven't had the, uh, I guess the confidence to run a dog in that yet. I don't really train for that. And I feel like the guys that do really well with that stuff, that's obviously what they train for. They're able to train for that stuff of, hey, field trial dog, hunt test. Mm -hmm. There's all these different scenarios that you have to run these dogs through that they have to be confident with Mm -hmm. and go out there and run that stuff. And on top of doing that in training, now you get into a competition day it's totally different. I mean, that that excitement level for those dogs are at all time high now. Yeah, and it's like an environment they've never seen before, right? Like at least that specific environment. You they're oh. traveling around, they're going to different yep. new place, sites. new grounds, new smells. Are you? This is before it kind of gets gets off my mind, but like, can anybody come and show up to the SRS event and just watch, or is it kind of a closed? No, they can all come okay. watch. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's, and so for your qualifications, you, any dog can enter and then anybody can come watch. And they encourage okay. them people just to come watch. Last year, we probably had 10, 15 people, all local people, just came out to see what this dog, this dog event encourage, was. Yeah, because I want to go. Yeah, just, I might. I want to go watch it because it just. It's this weekend? Yeah, Friday, Saturday, and the, then Sunday's the finale. So it'd be, okay. a, is that the 14th, 15th, yeah. 16th? Yes, yes. So was, let's run through the schedule while we're on it. Like, what happens on Friday? Like you got Friday, July 14th. Well, so I'm going to back you up one step because as a person was Wally and I put the work in. So we've been prepping for this thing for, for weeks on end. And Thursday will be our setup day. So judges come in, Marshall come in. We're going to go through develop setups that we're going to run at least for our first three series, or at least have a good idea. It doesn't have to necessarily be pinned down because weather can change right I and mean, you get a lightning storm come in you have to delay like you gotta have some backup yeah. plans but get it all laid out and then on friday that's when everybody shows up friday 8 a.m start i think for this one um the running order is already set uh so you already know like if your dog dog if we have 40 dogs in your dog 40 you're the first one up for the day so we'll all go down the line at 8 a.m and with all the handlers right there, we'll go through an entire scenario and explain what we're doing, why we're doing it, kind of what you're looking for in, a, in the marks and the blinds and the process. Like, where do you come off lead? Where's the holding blinds? And uh, go through the whole process. And then they'll actually run a test dog just to show you an example of it. And it, mm-hmm. the test dog really has two purposes. One, so you can see what it's doing. But also, number two, for me, more importantly, like if I'm judging an event type thing, just because I think I have everything picked out, doesn't mean it. Right. Would you run a dog on it? If there's a a dead possum laying on the way to a mark, <laughs> right? There, I, there is stuff you jump 
deer or turkeys or you just run a dog to it to see what happens. Make sure you're not missing anything. Because right. early on, you can address it. But when you start running dogs, like you're committed. Right. Like you're running, stay the same you're running dogs for everybody. And it's not really yeah. fair to them. If my dog went out and just chased a deer down the road yeah. um, and now all his dog runs and he doesn't have it, well, we didn't get to see the same setup. Right. It's not right. really fair to judge it's, that way. Yeah, that makes sense to me. It was like we were playing with Roosevelt this weekend and we had like, we'll take a rock and put our scent on it and throw it out in the woods or whatever. Yep. So my wife did that and threw the rock out in the woods and he goes, he goes into the, where the rock landed. And all of a sudden he takes like a quick right about five yards and flushes a woodcock. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> by accident. We weren't out there training for that. Right. But that's a scenario like yeah, yeah. where you're, you're like, well now all of a sudden he had a, a disadvantage, right. To yeah. every other dog that's going to run through there now. Yep. So we'll go through that entire thing on Friday and there's a, whatever the first series will run the hunt test or the field trial. We'll go through that whole series. All the dogs will run like 40 all the way down to one and they'll record all the scores and all the scores are there on a whiteboard. So it's, it's kind of fun because you can sit back and watch all your buddies run or, I mean, technically it's competition, but the unique thing about the dog world, even in an event where you do lose or you win, everybody wants to see a succeed. Okay. I mean, everybody wants to see people do good. Yeah. So it, it's, it's pretty fun to see what the scores look like. And sometimes you can, I would say the judging can be a little bit subjective because it's a point system. So, you know, what is the corridor to the blind? What's the corridor mm -hmm. to the mark? You know, if a dog's going out and just kind of gut hunting around, how big is the penalty? Cause you're going to have to make a decision on, am I going to whistle and put that dog on the bird quickly? What, you know, what's the worst of the two evils? And that could have a little bit of variation, but right. Right. yeah, that'll be a so Friday. It's, it's a real, it's a, advantage for anybody who who's interested in potentially entering one of these events in the future is like hey go check out what the requirements are now and like make it a goal for next year right no oh, yeah try and try and get connected in one of these events and and participate you know but yeah i just like i'm super curious about how this thing and just to watch the quality of dogs and trainers you know yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of people that train dogs around here and it's definitely a good idea to go yeah. out and watch that and, and if nothing else it's fun i enjoy watching dogs run and i enjoy all the stuff that you're going to see while they do it the, the mistakes that they make and the, the guys that run the multiple dogs they're kind of at an advantage because they've ran a dog well that dog did this so now i got to be aware mm, of that right. for the next dog and they're all different too but right. you know the dog's tendencies but that doesn't always mean that's what they're going to do on <laughs> test day too yeah so that that friday that friday morning like anybody who's super curious about how this thing operates and kind of logistics should go should try and be there friday morning or is that something you re revisit every every day i, I mean just that we're gonna your goal is to try to get through three series in two days so you want to try to get through that entire series and then start on your second series on friday okay so if you just want to come watch i wouldn't be there at 8 a.m i would probably wait till 10 11 noon nice middle yeah. of the day like everything at that point is just Open running along smoothly kind of you're kind of getting near the end of the, the running order. And if you do it in the middle of the day or even the afternoon, you could see the flip where you can watch them run whatever this series is and then move over I to the next you. one. You could catch yeah. the start of that one. Okay. So you can probably get both in on, on Friday. Okay. And then, so you got that Friday, you're trying to get through two of those series by Saturday morning. Yep. You're done with the the first two series, right? And then you've made the cut. Then you have the cut then for the top 12? Yep, top 12. For the... So goes from 40 to 12? Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. And it depends on how many are entered. So I think we have 40... 
five signed up, one walk up, forty six. So okay. it'll it'll cut down to twelve. But you you could have eighty, could have one hundred and twenty. I mean, it just okay. depends on what no, is registration no rules. closed. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's closed okay. right okay. now. Yeah, amateurs okay. can still walk up at any time. Pros, okay. you're you're in or you're out. There you okay. go, Corey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roosevelt. Right? Like, there's a reason he's not in the shop right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the successful dogs that play the game, they tell you the recommended training level is a finished master hunter or Q dog, like mm. a, a winner in a field trial. That's okay. If you can, if you have a dog at that level, right? They they can run blinds. They can pick up marks. They're steady at your side. If you have that, you can play the game. Not saying you can win, but you're mm-hmm. in it. You're at the right level to be going at it. And what Wally's talking about is pro- the the professional in him. Like for me, I have a finished dog that I've never won one. I just enjoy playing the game. Yeah. If you're going to get competitive about it, you would want to be sufficient in more than one area. And yeah. to me, the most important, what I enjoy about it is the hunting aspect of it. Because in a hunt test, the reality is that when you're doing standardized testing, you have to leave some of the hunting aspects out of it you want it to be close but you you just can't make it all hunting um here you gotta have a good hunting dog like can that dog sit at 20 different yards and can you walk over and pick up shells and pick up a gun and walk back if you just do hunt tests you've never had to do that before mm. right you just walk up sit down on the bucket load the gun shoot your birds shoot. and and away you go and if your dog's never done it that's usually the time you see stuff go go yeah, right. And, and you make a highlight oh, video. Yeah. <laughs> and this is where, like, I'm going to touch on a little bit. Like, maybe that's where some of the the differences in like the the American lab and the British lab can kind of show that showcase each difference. Because that you know, my understanding is that British lab is is going to be more of like the gentleman's dog that might be able to handle some of those, you know, more of that etiquette stuff better. But then maybe the field trial into things. You know, I don't know. This may be controversial, and people don't l- like to talk about like I'm just one being better than the other. But like, English, just big block headed. <laughs> yeah, let's not bring the English into it. <laughs> but I mean, to, to begin the conversation, you'll have on both sides the British and the American labs. As everyone says, the American are hyper and they're high strung, and some of them can be, but some of them are just just like what most of the British dogs are supposed to be known for being calm and have a really good temperament. You're going to get both extremes in both of them. For the most part, yes, I would okay. say the British is more known for having a calmer temperament uh, and not being high strung, but also on the flip side is they're not known for being field child dogs either. Right. So there, there, there's certain things, whatever you're looking for to go and get, like the American dogs are bred sometimes for doing those longer marks. And, mm-hmm. and I've seen some American dogs that go out there and stomp 400, 500 yard marks and I've got British dogs and I'd be like, I might have one or two that could possibly do that, but they're definitely not known for that They're So it's all what they're being bred to do. Now I will say over in the UK, like on their field trials, they'll have dogs go and run long marks like that. Oh, really? So, but okay. they will over there, they will handle on marks too. Whereas here it's kind of frowned upon to handle on marks. That's usually the dog's job. Now with the, the fun thing with the SRS is you're not really, you can handle on every mark, but you're going to accumulate points if you mm. do that. Whereas in a hunt test scenario, if you're running finished, you'll get six marks for the day and you can only handle on one of them. And if you have to handle okay. on a second mark, most likely you're going to be eliminated. Yeah, I've never gone to a hunt test, field trial. Yeah. It's always fascinated me. I've just never, never done it. Yeah. But this sounds really interesting because it's like all of them all together. Yeah, I think we're going to try yeah. and hit it up on, yeah. on Friday afternoon because we're heading down to louisiana and i'm like 
we should just stop on in there, watch it for an hour or two, you know, just to get a little, at least a, an hour or two and get a little, uh, like introduction to it. Oh yeah. You know, on our way through, but I'm excited to see it. I know Lene and Lily were like, we got to stop, you know, yeah. cause it's dogs, right? Like you don't have to really know anything. You don't even really have to be interested in like the scoring or anything to just enjoy watching good dogs work, you know? Yeah. And even if you don't know, I mean, I would say there's a general perception of anybody that's been around hunting dogs of like, if you see a dog out and there's whistles and whistles and Hey, no, here, like we know what a, just like hunting. If I hear you whistling 30 times and yelling at a dog, probably not going that good. If I, if your dog just goes out, picks up birds and comes back, that was probably a pretty good yeah. run. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the point system is, but that's good. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, and then Sunday, so you got Saturday, you're, you're finished, you're, you're going into your third, I'll call it the third series. Right. Yep. And then Sunday is the fourth series. Yeah. Usually we'll, what we'll try to do is just wrap up that third series on Saturday and then turn around and just kind of have a clean break. Hopefully like if all goes well, maybe we get done a little bit early on a Saturday, people can cut right. loose three, four, five o'clock, go get dinner somewhere. And then you can start fresh on Sunday morning, one series. And when I say six dogs, uh, there is a pro category and an amateur category. Okay. So you're all running the same setup, but we're not competing. So uh, Wally's a pro, I'm an amateur, so we could run back to back. He's only competing against all the other pros and I'm only competing against the other amateurs. So it's not like, cause oftentimes there's a scare of like, Oh, I don't want to go up against a right. big name in the United States. Right. Cause he's a pro. He does it for a living. Right. It's like, well, you're not, you just right. have to beat the other schmuck, the other duck yeah. hunter <laughs> right. from the East side of the state. Right. That's all yeah. you got to do. Right. So it's six in each class. Yeah. In okay. each class. So, and that finale, we'll have six pros, six amateurs, and it's the same for the 12, um, that will go at it on Sunday and it that's clicks cool. along pretty good. And that's yeah. usually, I would say the finale that four series is usually the, as wild as it gets, usually hunting focused. And that's what we're really going for is trying to get more, just the hunting focus, uh, into mm -hmm. all that. We want it to be enjoyable and let those duck dogs have a really good chance to shine. Yeah. How many are majority of the people coming from Michigan or is it nationwide or nationwide? Um, Actually, I don't, I don't think the majority of the people are from Michigan. The pros make up quite a bit because they take eight dogs a person. So Clarkson of Missouri, Georgia, uh, who's a third pro? But they're coming from out of state, a lot okay. of them are. But there is an amateur following that's pretty good. It's the local HRC clubs. They're starting to look at it more because a lot of these guys have, have ran AKC. They've ran HRC, and they're kind of like, eh. I mean, it's, you can keep doing it, but you know, you're just going to do the same thing. We're here. You get, it forces you, you to train a little bit tighter than what you normally would. And, um, and you can do something different. It's a different set of points, different yeah, you're, title. You're running with the big dogs too, yeah. right? Like you're, you're in the same tests, yeah. right? Yeah. You're not competing against them, but you're, you're seeing what your amateur dog is doing against right. the, the pro. I mean, some guys like that's intriguing to them. Yeah, there's some very good amateur trainers out there, okay. though. I will say that there are some very good amateur trainers, and there's times that their scores will be put up there right there with the okay. with the pros. What's as well. the difference between an amateur? I mean, is it just your profession? It's <laughs> is you, that I think the technical definition is if you take money for training dogs and you are a pro. That is okay. the way I believe AKC has it okay. spelled out. Yeah. Okay. What's the is there prize money or what's the Yep. There's a, so all the other venues don't have any payouts or anything fancy like that. SRS is unique in the fact that it's, it, there's a payout. You're not going to get rich off of it, but right. there's a cash check that comes along. I think it's on the top three placement. I'd have to look at the chart again. I think it's top okay. three placements payout. And then there's, 
you know, giveaways. Like uh, you guys were kind enough to donate those decoys for the winners of the pro and amateur. So thank you for that. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll be able to walk away with a very unique piece, not just a standard, you know, ribbon that hangs on the wall. Right. So that's, that's yeah, I mean, pretty hunt cool. over those decoys, you know, hunt over the decoy you want at the, at the SRS event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. They look very nice too. Oh, so. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, that's, I mean, I'm excited for it. I really am. It's something I've never, I've never witnessed before. And I know like, I know how much work it goes in that goes into both setting that thing up, that event up, you know, and just the guys training guys and girls training those dogs is just so i'm excited to see it all come together hopefully weather cooperates for you guys like if it is i mean does it rain doesn't affect you guys it's just lightning if there's lightning you're going to change yeah it and wally what's your theory on training in the rain my theory <laughs> training in the rain? i train every day of the week so yeah. if it rains i don't feel so bad about not doing it so that's okay. mo- that's okay. a big reason but yes the event goes on i mean yeah. it, it does go on unless we get lightning then I think uh, you're mandatory okay. to take a 30 minute break and yep. it's the same as like okay. if you have kids in sports, it pretty much follows through okay. with right. hunt tests, SRS, almost all of them just for a safety aspect with everything. Yeah. So if people are looking to come out and they're looking at the forecast and like, ah, they're like, you know, if they're traveling an hour or two hours or something. To well, and Saturday's been pretty steady. They're calling for a pretty, at least an inch rain on Saturday. So if you're going to come out and watch, <laughs> I would highly recommend <laughs> looking at Friday because Friday knock on wood yeah. has been pretty steady on the forecast the whole okay. time. So <laughs> we should be clear. I'm just saying, if you're from Michigan and in this area, an inch of rain sounds pretty good right now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're right. um, so, and this is, where is this located now? Where's the duck farm? In the metropolis of White Pigeon, Michigan. <laughs> okay. So I think it's 194990 Haybridge Road. We'll post the yeah. event. Yeah, I just kind of, like, so it's south, south. Yeah. yeah, we're just, I can't just, be but three miles off the Indiana border. Right. Okay. Yep. And so you can go out there and check out what they've, what they're running, and maybe just check out the duck farm too. <laughs> oh yeah, go check that out too. Yeah, um, Mike I, has spent a lot of time in the tractor and brush hogging out yeah. there lately. Hell yeah! <laughs> so yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, like that end of things too. We'll, we'll finish with the dog training because I'm Perfect. afraid yeah. that that's going to take the longest <laughs> amount of time. But so you're Mike, you're out managing the duck farm, right? So you. Maybe yeah. talk through what the duck farm is, and then what what your guys' goals are for what are you what are you trying to build it into? I mean, obviously, build it into to holding more ducks, but like maybe you can yeah. Um, so a little history on it is I think it's two hundred and sixty acres total. Um, back in the twenties or thirties, it was actually a a big uh, farm for corn because back then they did not have irrigation, so it was a low point. Um, kind of a basin where all your water collects, you couldn't irrigate, but if you could get corn in it, uh, it, it was self-irrigating at that point. Right. So they'd go in with an old John Deere, like a 350 C dozer, but they had three points and PTOs on the back and they do that whole thing continuously with a tractor, like a two row planter, <laughs> no all corn way. And then they had dewatering pumps because you can't flood out the corn, right? You get three days, I think over the seed and then it kills it off. So they would go in and dewater and just run the pumps enough to keep the water off of it, but keep it moist the whole time. Well, in the thirties, when irrigation kind of came around, electricity started to become more expensive. They went, yeah, we're not, we're not going to do that anymore. Maybe it was, it was fifties is when they stopped farming it. There was a group of guys that came out of Indiana and bought it and turned it into a duck club. So just a handful of buddies that bought this junk farmland that nobody was going to use anymore and 
hunting ducks off of it. So they did do corn for the first few years. They didn't have the ability to go do it. I think it was a wet spring and they just let it all go and it popped up with a bunch of moist soil plants and their hunting was way better. So they never did corn again. They just kept it with what it was, you know, drawdowns. Um, but the whole infrastructure was there. Like the dike, yeah. there was a dike system already there for yep. the, from the corn farming. Yep. Uh, just pipes and yeah, dewatering pumps to go up and over and uh, pretty crude, but it's, it works. That's all it needs to do is where I need to get water on and water off. That's it. So if you fast forward all the way up uh, to contemporary time, the that whole generation, right? A uh, few, over half of them had passed away. There's only a couple people and a, and a son that was a part of it. Uh, the interest really wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You're paying taxes on this land and all that, and they just needed to get it gone. And uh, Brandon was fortunate enough to step into it and, and pick it up. And then uh, I think it was actually, he called Don looking for, you know, somebody to go look at it. And I'm like, well, I know exactly where that property is. I've stared at it for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> just looking at like it's got a lot of potential but yeah nobody ever does does anything with it because as the older guys passed away they were the people that did all the work or had the knowledge to know what to do and when to do it because you can't just draw it out anytime there's right times and wrong times and certain stuff will germinate um so i kind of inherited that whole role because with that first year we we hunted ducks and molly came out with don and it, it was good. It was good hunting that first year, but it was just all wide open water. And so a little bit on the edges. So I, I can use my experience. Uh, we used to share crop the Todd farm back in the day. So I had some oh, wow. yeah. DNR knowledge experience. I mean, I'm, I'm not degreed in any of it, any of it, but I know how plants work for the most part. And uh, we were able to start doing the drawdown and bring all that stuff back up. So I, uh, ever since then, I've just been managing it, making sure we stay on top of it, getting our our water off in time, water on in time, moving plants around, um, seeing what we can and, and can't do. Part of it's enrolled in the WRP so that there's, you know, compatible use requirements in there. Um, and then even pushing back invasives. I mean, the biggest probably negative to the whole thing is maintaining cattails and fragmite. Fragmite here are the, definitely the most difficult to keep pushed out. So did you have to, did you burn that off? Cause I'm guessing it sat there for a while and you had a lot of, dead dead fuels there from the fragmites and cattails over time so did you hit reset with the match oh yeah (laughs) so um it last burn would have been in the 80s from like a lightning strike that's the last time i had controlled burn so it was just all over it well in the when they did the wrp work that was 12 years ago or something so there was somebody that touched it but it's a lot of fuel that was out Mm -hmm. there so we went out with the fire department and uh, did a controlled burn on the southwest section, a big cattail slough with some frags in the middle of it. A little bit hotter and more intense than what everybody had planned on. And we had a, <laughs> we did have a bailout plan, right? Yeah. Of it's, it's all ditched in. So it physically can't go anywhere. But smoke, people get the oh, yeah. smoke that you could have a, a really hot fire. You could be, it could be actually a really dangerous fire and no one cares as long as they're not seeing big smoke plumes. Yeah. Well, yeah. we, we saw it like well, the two frags over. The, yeah, <laughs> like when you had that frag and cattails, yeah. Yeah, so it went <laughs> up and just a really good hard reset on everything in the springtime, which I'm more of a fan of a fall burn for what we're trying to do. But at this point, it's just you need to make a step forward. Mm-hmm. And if we can get it in the spring, we're just going to get in the spring. Right. Certainly won't hurt anything. So you did get a lot of stuff that would pop back. But we converted probably 20% of it into usable area at that point wow. just by getting all that yeah. junk off of it. Did you have a response from people from the burn? Like, did you have any issues with 
with Vernon, like oh, people. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, what's going on? I mean, the, the stories that erupted out of the whole that thing. The news or not? Yes. Sturgis <laughs> Journal. Did it really? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. And I mean, you can put all the information out there, talk to the neighbors, mm. but I mean, there's people miles away that were getting ash, you know, on top <laughs> of the house. It just is what it is. Um, and we even had a controlled burn since then, too. That was helpful. Just a nice, good fall burn to kind of catch everything back up. Because unfortunately, We're not I done yet. <laughs> well, I mean, if you look at prescribed burns, it's it should be a regular occurrence. I mean, this is what yeah. spooks me about like the West Coast and all their wildfires. Like Mother Nature has a whole system. We as people generally get in the way of how all this stuff works. So when we start putting out all these fires, you're not letting it work. Or like the woods up north, right? We're not really mm-hmm. cutting like we used to, and you really need to have the there a whole generation of stuff that's just coming up, stuff that's mid-growth and stuff that's uh, at end of life or max growth. If you don't have that, then it just becomes a big, massive monoculture, which is what it was. So burning's not bad. And I think mm. every three to five years, I think is about the right time to get after it. Yeah. I mean, you think about like naturally occurring lightning strikes and that's one of the, the timing too is like, well, most lightning strikes in late spring, summer months, you know, like, so these plants are adapted to for that time period. And that cycles, I mean, who knows, really, you know, is it three to five years, is it five to ten years? You know, but just, yeah, some on some sort of cycle. Yeah. Well, in that five-year mark. And you think about the summer lightning strikes and how Mother Nature works, is a lot of your native species are warm-season grasses, right? That's what we're all striving for. Mm-hmm. So if you had a lightning strike in June... And you open up all that canopy, so the soil was too cold for it to grow. Now it's you have nothing but solid sun on it. Mm-hmm. Soil temp jumps up, and guess what? Mother Nature says, yeah. "Oh, here you go, native, native grasses and forbs. Please grow." And uh, on top of all the nutrients that comes out of yeah. it, so it's a, it's helpful. And it's yeah, I mean, it sounds like you've got a ton of knowledge in that. that yeah, where where did that come yeah. from? I don't, I don't know. I think it's just time yeah. around old gray-haired guys. Yeah, at the, that's, at yeah the people don't farm. do enough of that. I was just talking to my son about that. It's like, get some friends around you. Talk to people that are, like, actually living life that are, like, in their 60s, right? Oh, yeah. They, like Wally. Yeah, I, <laughs> 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 that hurts. <laughs> I mean, it's like, that's that, when you start hearing about, how do you know how to do all this stuff? When you see people like that, they're generally surrounded by, like, a, a lot of older older people that kind of mentored them they it's not typically people that just spend all their time on youtube learning things no but i would say that if you start pairing that i'm kind of disappointed in the current generation of like you have so much information at your fingertips like for me i would just go i come to breakfast club all the old farmers and old timers that go and have coffee in the morning just sit down and listen you don't say anything just listen to them that was the only way you're going to get information right unless you Mm -hmm. knew somebody that knew something well now if you can pair that and then go Google it and kind of sort through the BS right. of what makes sense and what doesn't. Yeah. It's a powerful tool. Right. Yeah. They're just not diversifying their portfolio yes. when it comes it, to their knowledge. It's yeah. like they're learning from other 25 year olds on a YouTube channel, right? Like, yeah. It, right now. And it's, I don't like, just go do that. You'd be surprised how much you just glean without knowing it. Right. So you, did you grow up like farming or I, you talked about um, yeah. sharecropping at, at Todd Farm, which is, for those who aren't familiar, I think they call it the Fenville Farm Unit or yeah, something. Yeah, like, Farm it Unit. might be the technical name. It's one of the waterfowl managed areas for the state. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about like how'd you get how'd you get involved with that or what aspect did you? Oh, I was forced to. It was child labor. My <laughs> that's, that's what it was. Um, so you grew up on a farm. Yeah, yeah, I grew up on okay. a farm. 
Yeah. And he was friends with the farm manager. And I mean, there's just a whole, that DNR, even the stuff I saw back then was I'm guaranteed was probably 10% of all the stuff that they do on any of these game management. I think a lot of people take it for granted because that stuff doesn't miraculously just happen. Like we care about it hunting season and I want to know they're going to have a doe shoot and I want to know when they open up and I think the zones are too far apart or I think they're too close, but man, they, they put in a ton of work. So there's just a little bit of osmosis I would get by just being out there cutting hay, breaking hay. Also it was pre cell phone days. So if you broke down in the middle of a field, my only chance was to go up and go talk to them, right? I mean, or go to the closest yeah. house. That's that's the only thing you can do. So you had to talk to people. And then you start, you know, talking to them. And the whole area is farming anyway. So you weren't going to walk next door and find somebody that wasn't a farmer. Okay. Where'd yeah. you grow up? Uh, Down. up in, in Pullman. So even in okay. a richer portion of Fenville or an even poorer portion of Fenville. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then how did you get linked up with uh with brandon in the the duck club i mean it just it's just wild how things just i mean it was originally the connection with don i i'd i'd heard about boss before like you guys were shooting early season geese i had bought a couple boxes i'm like eh, i really don't like the logo but <laughs> don and wally <laughs> but you knew don like you knew yeah and i'm like they, vouched, they said okay. it's good stuff i'm like yeah, yeah I'll, I'll try it and see and i'm like oh this is pretty good and then fast forward to when the property came up and he was looking for just somebody local to go look at it i'm like yeah i'm here again i'll go check it out and you had then that experience right. from working on yeah Allegan. is that your like, like full-time deal now no okay no. so this is just just for fun yeah, well, yeah. yeah what's your what's your day job oh i sell um Filtration separation equipment into oil refineries. So crack crude oil into jet diesel gas. And your background then is going to be like, is that mechanical engineering? Okay, mechanical engineering. Okay. Yeah. He's smart. Yeah. 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 Well, that's. I mean, he didn't come across as an idiot to me. But like, <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, at least. You're yeah. good judge. <laughs> you believe me so far, so yeah. it must be working. Uh, all right. So that's kind of a little bit about the, the duck farm. I haven't been out there either to see it, so I'm, that's another one. Yeah, I want to see it, and I want to see the dogs. I think it would be fun. Friday. Yeah, it's a good day. would it's be a good. good. Day. You might yeah. be able to get Mike out to give you a quick little ride around. I'll just put you there. on the tractor, just turn the PTO <laughs> on, and just drive. <laughs> it's been, I mean, I haven't been out in the field doing habitat work, like actual, you know, day-long habitat work in probably two or three years. So there you go. Lucky. (laughs) It's fun and it's rewarding. I mean, it's not a quick reward type system, but I enjoy seeing, especially year over year, over year improvement and making forward progress on it all. And then even this stuff talking about it, because there's, for me, I take a lot of it for granted because I just, I know it and I assume that people know this stuff. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people just don't, or, and how easy it is like drawdowns. Like people are like, "Ah, I have to plant corn and I have to flood it to kill ducks. No, no. Not really. Do you know what a duck use day is, right? Do you know what the protein level is a plant? What's good? What's bad? What's yeah. invasive? I mean, that's the plant ID thing where you can, like, if you just know plant identification, you can walk around anywhere and seem like you you're don't super need to intelligent. Know it. You know what mine is? <laughs> <laughs> it's an app on a phone. I was going to say. I mean, so really? Like, it used to be you, you got to share that with me because I am <laughs> always calling Corey, like, early on with my property. Mm. I'm like, Corey, what is this? Is this, like, good or bad? Yes. And I just need to know. <laughs> yeah. Because do I do I mow it now? Do I burn it? But you really, yeah, like in that scenario, like as far as plant ID, you can seem really intelligent with just memorizing things. Right? Like just just like, oh yeah, that's you may know nothing else about it other than like what the plan is. Yeah. Right. 
and I think it is valuable because then you can start to build like uh, uh, ecosystem type, right? And know what's supposed to be there. Oh, this should grow too, or I can plant this because this this cohort is growing there. You know, yeah. or even so when you've got all that knowledge, which is yeah. like invaluable for someone. I mean, for someone that doesn't have like that's not what their career was in, or maybe what their education was in. Like that's pretty rare. Yeah, I would say. So I'm going to move, I'm going to shift a little bit here. I mean, it's somewhat related because it's happening at the duck farm and there's, you know, like you guys like dogs, but I really want to get on dog training and just the, there's a whole plethora of questions I have because <laughs> I've asked them myself and I've had people ask me and I, like, I've got a dog that's just a meat dog, right? Like he's just going to go out and he's going to, he's going to retrieve a duck if he can't see the duck, he's going to find it with his nose, right? So he's going to do just the basic. Um, and I really use him probably more for upland okay. hunting. So woodcock and grouse and pheasant. So he's, he's like balancing between those. And, and, um, but I've, and I talked to you about this a little bit beforehand, Wally. It's like I've always had this like underlying regret of not sending him to someone like you just to see what his potential would be. Right, like, or it could be, and I'm like stuck always. Now I feel like I'm stuck wondering how good could this dog be, and it's because I didn't have any of this knowledge in dog training. So I've had people give me suggestions. I've seen dogs work. I've had, you know, all these different scenarios out in the field. A dog is doing different things, and and so I've I've kind of got some questions that I I want to ask you. But let's start with how you got into dog training, how that that interest was like sparked okay um so maybe start there start start at the beginning i'll start at the beginning okay. so when i was in high school according to mike it would have been like in the <laughs> 30s <laughs> <laughs> i did waterfowl hunt with a buddy a little bit um i enjoyed it it was fun we didn't have well i don't even when we were in high school we didn't use dogs so we, it was just me and my buddy out there had a rowboat we'd go out there and pick up our ducks it was a good time um Fast forward, and at that time, I was a big deer hunter, archery hunter. So that's all I did was archery hunt for years. Uh, fast forward when I was doing my regular job at the time then, I used to sell beer. So I had a, okay. beer, a sales route for a beer distributor, and I met a client at, I think it was Horn Creek Pub, Lenny and Tara Case, and they were selling some labs. Is Horn Creek Pub the one here in, like, up that, uh, that, Yes. Oh, yep. yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. that's right where I used to work, right? Right down the road from there. Yeah, it's like that, just that tiny. whole. I used to sell. That was my old sales route. Okay. All of Barry County, the whole thing. I okay. used to sell that whole thing. Okay. So yeah, that's my stomping grounds. Yeah. That's where I grew up. So, yeah. okay. so they had they had bred uh, their lab to uh, I think it was Old Squaw Kennels uh, lab, yeah. and yeah. so I'm like, well, what's that? The Frank heck? Frank Purdy. Yes. Yep. 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 So we uh, you too. Just well, uh, Roosevelt <laughs> spent like three days training with Frank Purdy when he was like just a l young little, pup. little guy. And Frank didn't believe he was a British lab okay. when he first saw him. And yeah. I think it was because he was like actually pretty driven. Yeah. So we got the most driven pup in the litter. Yeah. And he w like went right into the water right away. He was just a little pup. I mean, and so he trained. He had me actually bring papers because he didn't believe it. <laughs> well, there, I'm going <laughs> to tell you right now, there's a lot of guys out there that they haven't seen like really well-bred British labs. There's a lot of them that feel like, and I think a lot of them mistake them for like an English lab, which is more of a bench or show lab, yeah. not really bred for what we do. When we get our, our dogs from over there, we're buying dogs from actually field trial lines. So um, 
Okay. But yeah, there's there's a good yeah. difference. He's a good he's a good guy. Like yeah. he's like he's very serious about the training. Oh, I yeah. know he's had some champion yeah. dogs too. Yeah. But, so but. yeah, I picked up a dog from them, and it was basically my reasoning for it was it's just going to keep me out of the deer woods until my time is right. I got the dog. I was like, I'm going to train this dog to be a waterfowl dog. I had no idea what I was doing. This dog right now is 13 years old. Right now, he's still alive. Wow. So. What's the dog's name? Mason. Okay. And like his call name was Hoyt, like the bow. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's literally, that was my passion was uh, archery hunting. So, but after I trained this dog and then I started waterfowl hunting over this dog, I just never made it back to the woods. <laughs> and so I just, I just didn't do it. And then I started making a bunch of other friends that had dogs or they seen what my dog could do. And just like anybody else starting off like, hey, can you train my dog? And so I take a couple dogs and help people out and charge in minimal money. And, and that's how it all started. I mean, it, like, and then I would meet Don later on. Cause I had a buddy that I went to school with that knew Don. Don went to our rival school. I went to Athens high school and then Don went to union city and I had wrestled Don actually in high school. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, we kind of <laughs> knew each other in school and, um, but anyway, Greg Manier introduced me and Don again after school. And at the time, Don was, just to show you how smart Don is, he was training chessies. So, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> but we got finally got him back to the good side and training go. labs. So, um, he got tired of getting bit? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> them chessies, Just man. kidding. Yeah. I know. I, I love the American yeah. chessie. Yeah. Guys, they're awesome dogs, too. So, yeah. I mean, that's when I got into it. And I started doing that stuff with that that first lab and and pushed him and he's actually the first one i ran in hunt test and everything too um and like i said it's that dog taught me a lot i mean every dog you train is going to teach you something yeah i'm just fortunate right now that i get to run through 30 to 40 different dogs a year and they're all different personalities now granted they are 99 percent of them come from our lines i usually train just our yeah. dogs with southern oak kennels from southern oak kennels breedings um occasionally there's some outside dogs that come in but for yeah. the most part we stay full with just our own breedings um but yeah that's kind of my background on on that stuff okay and then what what made the switch like day one i'm doing i'm all in what was with because you were still doing your beer route right yep yep yeah. okay you mean when i made the switch to just yeah. go full-time dogs yeah. that's a hard decision to make i'm gonna tell you that that's right what now. i'm saying it's yeah very, like you got a job with insurance making right. consistent money and you're and just like you're like well Corey gonna? did it yeah <laughs> yeah i'm looking at you like i feel i feel it man it, a, it was a stressful situation i mean it got to a point where don and i actually because we were both doing this we're partners in the business and it got to a point to where it's like well one of us has got to just jump ship yeah we, we have to make the plunge mm -hmm. and we did and it worked out everything worked out great i mean the, all the business was there we had enough dogs we made it work and honestly i think it i would want to say within a year don had made the plunge too yeah like within within that year we both were able to make that plunge and jump mm -hmm. into the business and that's been in the last six or seven years or so. oh let's see I would say yes. Like it would be like okay. six or seven years since okay. we did the the full time. I lose track of and time. Were you, Half the time I can't remember what day. It were was. you in, like? Were you connecting? <laughs> well, when you're with, training seven days a week, you yeah, know? they all run together. Yeah. Was Southern Oak Southern Oaks like a 2017, 16, 17 thing, or has it been around longer than that? 
It has been like, around longer than that. I'd okay. have to go back and look. I want... Like, were you guys connected? So like, we did were, you start right, with so Southern Oak Kennels, or were you we'll, your no, own? No, we'll okay. get into that as well, too. Okay. So, yeah, like, so initially to get into the, the British Lab lines is Don actually listened to Barton on an HP podcast. And so that's where he first, and we are talking about opening our own kennel and doing our own thing and trying to figure out what we wanted to do. Well, everybody was selling American labs. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, all right, at the time, British labs was a new little niche thing or whatever you want to call it, but they had good dogs. We researched it. Um, and a lot of the reason why we went with the British labs is because they're not allowed to use e-collars over there. So you are usually getting a dog with natural, a good so, yeah. natural hold, not, not mm-hmm. things that you can correct with a collar. So here, sometimes you'll get a, a, could be a field, a field champion. It could be a master hunter. They may have been a hard mouth dog, but you're able to fix that with, with a collar. There's certain things that just, that you could do with a collar and overcome with a collar that maybe they couldn't do over there with. Uh, So you are usually getting something that was more naturally bred to do the work. So, um, and the way they run their tests over there is more reliant on the dog's natural ability and that's, not necessarily the trainer's ability. That's what, Here, what I was kind of looking into when I was looking at getting a pup was like because of my lack of knowledge in the training side of things and the fact that we wanted a really good house dog, maybe a, a lab that could had an on-off switch that was easy to, to turn on and off, yeah. you know, and uh, was more of like was easier to, and I, I know I'm, probably using the wrong terminology, but easier to um, obey, you know, to get to obey. Maybe not as driven. Like, I didn't need this hard-driving, hard-charging dog. I needed a dog that just would listen to me, right? Yeah, something that's more biddable is what we call it. It's just biddable. And so that's what I learned, too, was that those British, the the British tests that they're, they're breeding these dogs to perform well in is more of, like, a lot of it's etiquette. Right. Or like allowing the dog to actually go out and use its nose to find a bird or just use its instincts instead of your direction. And I knew my direction was going to be a problem. (laughs) Right. Like I knew that was going to be a pitfall for the dog. So I was like, yeah, this makes more sense. Yes. You know, and I I don't, is that, that rings true though, typically? Typically, yes. And that's what we usually try to strive to breed for. I'll go back to, so. When we started this, we started getting dogs from Barton. At the time, Don and I had what we called Beyond Basic Retrievers. So that's what we started with, Don and I. That was our kennel. Um, And I want to say it was only probably two or three years into it at the time, Barton was looking to expand, and he knew what we were doing, and he knew what we were going to do. We were were open with him on everything that we were doing. And he was ready to expand. He couldn't do any more business where he was at in his position, and so he asked us to join on. So that's when we joined on and partnered with Southern Oak were, Kennels. Were you already full-time into it at that point? Or did you go full-time after Southern Oak Kennels? Before you, or was it right around that? Yeah, I want to okay. say it was, okay. it was probably about the same because, time. Yeah. That might have been. I can't, like that, I can't fully remember I, how it played out. For but. some reason, I feel like when, like when Don and I were talking, because this was back in like the, the photo side of things, is that was the main reason for the main jump that probably was was for us talking. And I think that's why I think 
that's probably when I made that plunge. Just yeah. Because at the time, what, what? You're like waiting for that, that thing. You're the, waiting for that thing that's push. like, I have to make the decision yeah. right now. And it's either I yeah. make it now or I've got to go the other direction. Well, and the thing is, you know, Barton was a master with the social media and everything. Yeah. And he had such a, a high demand for the dogs and he needed more dogs to sell. So that was probably like the, the initiative for me is all right, I can make that jump now because we don't have to worry about well, selling you already our puppies. Have the, yeah, the brand recognition is yep. already there. Yep. It's, it's sold. Now you're just trying to expand yep. that brand throughout yep. the country. And being full-time, you can expand it so much more, right. too. Is like we could bring in so many more dogs, train more dogs. And then it was a matter of us, while we were still working full-time, we were buying females in hopes of turning them into breeding females. Um, and we had our old stud dog, Hank. You know, he's our first stud dog. Um, so yeah, that, that was the whole transition of how we, that was became. a good one to have. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. we got lucky. I mean, yeah. really, I mean, because the number of stud dogs, potential stud dogs I've gone through since Hank has been pretty high. Really? Yeah, yes. What yeah, was, I've, what set, what sets Hank apart? I mean, obviously like there is kind of this, uh, this, uh, status that's been built around Hank. Like he's a very well-known stud dog yes right in yep. the in the retriever world especially at southern oak what separate what do you feel separates hank from maybe some of the other not i'm not talking down to the other stud dogs but what makes him special for him it, he was a big dog i mean he was actually big for the british lines he was really big for mm-hmm. british lines and for us up here in the north that was a nice thing to have because we do shoot a lot of canada geese and everything up here that's a big uh, most of what we do anyway and to have a big tall stud dog was kind of nice to have but as far as his he was really a biddable dog a super biddable dog and very loyal he would just like look right into your eyes and like trying to figure out what you were trying to get him to do that was the nice thing with him is just like i want to do what's right in some cases he was a softer dog though as well and so you had to really be careful of how much pressure you put on yeah and i'll go back to we, I know we touched a little bit on e collars and stuff, or we haven't really got into that stuff. But I, I won't bring I, it up. I, no, I mean, I <laughs> you, will, no, that's one of my questions. Hundred percent, well, we can talk through it because I like most of our personal dogs that we use for breeding, I do not use an e collar on, and the only the main reason I do that is because I want to see how well they can be trained without an e-collar because that's what we're trying to breed for is that biddable dog. Mm -hmm. And if I have a dog that's fighting me on everything and I really feel like I have to put an e-collar on it, that's not really the direction that we wanted to head with our dogs. So it's it's something that's like you're talking about a calmer temperament Mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong. We have a wide variety. We have those dogs that those breedings that could be great for guys that hunt every other weekend but we also have those breedings for those guys that actually go out and guide and do it for a living well, that like, Hey, here you go. Now, don't get me wrong. Within those litters, things happen. They all don't reproduce themselves, but you know. yeah, you're like, you're hedging your bets. Oh, right? yeah. like, yes. so you 10 out of your 12 dogs or whatever, it's going to be what you want them to be, you know, yeah. uh, instead of, you know, maybe it's only 20% that litter is going to yeah. be a quality, you know, dog. But you talk about like the qualities that, that Hank has, um, and Roosevelt, like Hanks would be Roosevelt's grand grandfather. Yep, right. Yep. And I can see like Roosevelt's eyes, like never leave. Like he's just constantly looking back to try and see like, Hey, is this what you want me to do? And if it's not, he's like trying to figure you out, you know, like yep. it's, it's a hundred percent of the focus is on you 
And in in the Upland game, that's that's been huge because yeah. I never had to worry about that dog. Yeah. That dog doesn't leave that. You know, maybe he'll get out there forty yards or something, but like I don't have to run a bell on him. I don't have to like he's just I don't have to run an e collar on him, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's very it's nice when you're going woodcock and grouse hunting. You just have that dog that wants to be doing what you want him to be doing yeah. without that pre- extra pressure. Yeah. On top of it all, he was just, he was actually, for his size, he was very athletic, very agile, had a heck of a water entry. I mean, there was just a lot. His looks on top of it, it all. Was yeah, I had just seen a great looking dog. There, is it, uh, what's that? Is it the grind or something? Yep. yep. He and was on with uh, Bill Wilroth. And yep. I yep. I'd watch some, some of that, and there was some episodes where he's diving, you know, for oh, yeah. the, like he just, like, it's impressive to watch. And just a big, what was his weight? Was it like 95 pounds? It was right around 90. Okay, yep, 90. Yep. I mean, don't get me wrong. He'd get up to like 92, 93. He looks really thin at like 85, 86. Okay. So, yeah. He's right a around. big dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like 90, you could still see his, you could still see his ribs and stuff. So, do you have a preference on like just your own personal preference on black or yellow or like coloring on the labs? I'm more of a yellow lab guy okay. personally myself. I don't really have, I have one yellow stud dog right now, but okay. he's not really, he's pretty light colored stud dog, but yeah, yellow, yellow and male. Is I mean, it that, just because of aesthetics you like, you like, or is it yeah. like function, like N- nothing, nothing to do nothing, with the dog's brains okay. or abilities no, or genetics? Right. Cause it's, it's most, so it of, is most of the top dogs just, are going to be black dog, black labs. That's, that's usually your top dogs. Okay. So, but yeah, I, it, I mean, people ask me all the time is, well, should I get a male or female? I'm like, this is totally up to you guys. Because people think there's a huge difference in their temperament and uh, their attitudes between a male and a female. And I can tell you right now, I have 50-pound females that will go out and get a 15-pound goose and carry it back like it's nothing. So it's all okay. just within and it. You know, I have 70-pound males that will just pick at it and maybe carry it by its neck. Or, yeah, that's yeah. my dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and so, so it, 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 it just depends on the dog's attitude. Okay. And I tell, I usually tell people, like, look, if you're going to do a lot of field hunting with a lot of big birds, you're probably better off going with a male dog. Just because of size. Yep, just because of size. So yeah. really, like, you wouldn't recommend either way. I mean, there's no other advantages disadvantages other than just the size of the no. dog a little bit but yeah their, their abilities okay. are and the brains and their the way they train it doesn't ma- okay. matter male or female they all overlap they all have different personalities and the temperaments both change too like month to month like i've heard like the female dogs will almost like pms Potential. That's what I've oh, been told. Yeah. Well, here we go. We can well, get, yeah. we can, no, we can. but no, that, that's one reason why I didn't want to go with a female if I were to get one because of the, I don't want to say mood swing, but that yeah. was how it was described to me. Yeah. So basically what you, I tell people is like with the male, because for us, our health guarantee is 24 months and you have to leave them intact. So uh, we, we believe that makes the dogs be able to develop and their bone structure and make sure the muscle development. And so it makes a more sound dog at that point. And that outweighs any type of cancer or other health benefit of getting them spayed. Um, but yeah, so you're usually going to deal with a male that's going to mark, he's going to pee on 
a, everything the, the corner of your pole barn maybe even on the garage door your tire is going to pee everywhere and then yes the flip side with the female is leaving them intact until they're two most of the time you're going to hit at least two heat cycles if not three and so yeah that's your that's where you're talking yes some females it could be a month before their heat cycle and all of a sudden you're like what are you thinking what yeah. is going through your head right now you've lost your mind i have females that never skip a beat i have some females that run way better than what they normally do when they're in a heat cycle mm. so it all varies okay. and that's and that's my biggest thing for people too is yes if you're buying a female and you plan on leaving it intact you're going to deal with heat cycles usually every six to seven months which for some people is not a big deal but do you see a, a difference in a, uh, aggressive behavior between the two between males and females like as far as does one does a male ha- is a male sh- I know your dog, obviously you're breeding to not have that issue, yeah. but certainly it comes up once in a while. So yeah, do you, and do you I would see say it more frequently in the males and the females or no? No. Okay. I, I say it goes both ways. My experience with it, if there is a disagreement between dogs, usually the females are worse to each other than what a male will be. Usually the males will just be like, blah, blah. Yeah. it's kind of like, well, uh, I guess I won't. That, get into we've it. Seen we've it. already <laughs> gone there. We've, seen it. we've already gone there. <laughs> we've seen the ma- males like Roosevelt's tussled a few times it's like they're they're all bark but no you know like oh yeah a lot of times it'll be a quick little little spat and then they a lot of times they'll stop on their own and i've seen females they'll just keep on going and going and pretend you're not even there trying to stop them but i would say 99 percent of the time like i will let out for when we air dogs we'll have 15 males out together at the same time and nine times all intact and most of the time not have an issue unless sometimes you'll have like a, I will say as they age, they probably get ornery. Yeah. yeah. Be a little more ornery or just less tolerant. Stubborn. But I feel stuff. like that you've also helped with the acclimation of multiple dogs. I mean, since birth, Oh, yeah. you know, that's huge because yes. I, I mean, bringing Hank, my dog around other dogs like Roosevelt, when they're both intact, they're, yeah. they got to, figure out each other real quick and yeah you're almost like let them figure it out and then they'll yeah. be fine yeah you know and a lot of our dogs get to a point though too is where it's they're better off just ignoring another dog that's honestly kind of my focus for a lot of them is just ignore the dog just focus on me okay like that's your place i told you to place ignore that other dog walking around and, but yes on the other flip side like i said is that getting those dogs together and being around a bunch of other dogs is invaluable. I mean, they, they just learn to cope with a bunch of other temperaments and they learn yeah. to read body language so much better because they're around other dogs and they can understand how it all works. Um, and that's what I tell a lot of people when they bring them in for training. If their dog wasn't very well socialized, it usually takes them a long time or longer to adapt to the kennel life versus one that was socialized a lot. So, you don't. You said you don't use e collars on your personal dogs, or like you know maybe stud dogs, or um, what? Do you use e collars with any of the dogs? Like if you're bringing, you said you're you're training forty dogs a year. Most like, most of our client dogs are on e collars now. Okay. When I first started, it was zero. Um, I could train the dog to do whatever I needed it to do without the collar, but where we started running into okay. issues were when I sent them home to the owners and it's, it's harder to replicate the correction that I had to use in training versus like if I just use an e collar, then it's a universal correction. Right. 
So, yeah, because yep. it's almost like me and my wife trying to reprimand my like. He just it, knows it's me. Yep. And to listen yeah, when yeah. it's her, like ah, yep. she's not gonna do anything. For me, it's, it's like dead. the hassle of like carrying the remote around and charging batteries and stuff. Like yeah. I just like I don't want to deal with like that's a big part of it. Honestly, yeah. it's just like always having that maintenance thing where I can just pull the dog out and like. The only thing I kind of got into with it was with a lot of clients was the safety aspect. Cause I see it with my own dogs is like Hank, for instance, he had such incredible drive that if there was a crippled goose, like he's not going across him. a road, mm-hmm. he's, he's going stopping. after it and there's nothing I'm going to do to right. stop him. Right. I mean, that, that's the thing is they, they, something shuts off in their brain and they're just so their only focus is that. And so the only way you're going to break that focus is probably with an e-collar and when you got yeah. a highly driven I mean, dog. Yeah. So my dog, when it like, same thing going towards a road or i mean i there was an example i forget where it was but i'm shocking because I, I, I had to stop him and you literally just see him tilting his head with the amount of shock because i had and he kept going they just he didn't care yeah didn't care yeah. but he eventually stopped because yeah. i i mean yeah. it's like he would have been dead roosevelt i'll run an e-collar on him when he when we're woodcock and grouse hunting because you you're going across like two tracks and you know you've got atvs and stuff and you don't know if they're working you hear atv coming you gotta be able to like rain the dog yeah, back in like yep. quickly and i've never actually i don't generally have to use it yes. go days and not use it um but then out in the field like i don't think that dog's got enough drive to <laughs> he's like i, I do 100 120 yard retrieves anything past that man yeah. it, you, you got it you it's got legs <laughs> you got legs too yeah. <laughs> go out and get that yourself yeah, yeah. <laughs> But no. yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me is like, um, you know, and to be honest that. with you, it, it's a great tool. I mean, it is, mm-hmm. um, and I use it on most of the client dogs and everything now, and just the amount of stuff that you can get them to do and in a shorter amount of time. Now the flip side is, is not using one. It's going to take a little bit longer, but it can also be more rewarding Yeah, at the same time. And I will say for me anyway, Learning how to train a dog without an e-collar just, I feel like, makes you a better trainer. If you can oh, actually, yeah. you have to teach the dog. You have to. That's your only way to get the dog to do what you want it to do without a collar is you physically have to teach them every little step. And there's guys out there that ask you, like, well, how can you get the dog to do this without an e-collar and do that? And it's like, well, you got to teach it. You break it down into steps. Mm-hmm. Is it more leg work? Oh, yeah. It's more leg work. I'm walking more. I'm going to be running more. If a dog slips a whistle, you probably catch me running through a field trying to chase the thing down. So, I mean, That's it's why just, you're in such great shape. <laughs> <laughs> but no yeah, e-collars. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, but definitely a benefit using the e-collar. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, the nice thing is for me with the clients, it's more universal. I can bring them in. I can, I can explain to them this is when you correct now, yes, can you ruin a dog with an e-collar? Can they make mistakes and, and cause extra work in the long run? Yeah, they can. But when you do it, you try and give them the ground rules. This is, this is when I give you permission to use the collar for this, this, and this. Don't touch the collar other than that. Just deal with what the dog's doing and yeah. you know, figure it out later. But and obviously, the longer they're using it, the less they have to use it. Right. Yeah, I mean, theoretically, Techni- theoretically, like, like yes. our, I, I think because I have very limited experience. Right. But our blue tick has to have an e-collar. Yeah. Right. Like obvious reasons. Yeah. And uh, it's like 
we'll go a little while without using it or just won't put it on him. And he he knows, right? And he starts testing his boundaries. He starts, yep. but when he's got that on and you, you you know, and he's had to have been he had to have been recalled a few times, you'll go weeks then with him sticking in the yard, you know, and yep. doing what you need him to do. Yeah. So and I imagine that's like similar to what well, Hank Hank knew when I put his e collar on, we were gonna train or hunt. And so yeah. it was his temperament changed where he was more uh attent and like wanted to listen. When he had it off, he just kinda was willy nilly and just kinda didn't want to listen. Yeah. Got but, the free time. Yeah, but he just knew it was it was kinda it was like, All right, it's go time. Yeah. The the goal is to get the dog to listen hundred percent of the time. And that's what I tell people too for the e collars, like look, don't don't take this dog out and do any type of thing that resembles training without this collar being on. Like, the problem that a lot of people run into is they'll take their dog out and start training the dog without it on. The dog starts making mistakes. Oh, I'm going to go get the e-collar. And then you throw the e-collar. Now all you're doing is teaching the dog that they only have to listen when that's on. So, yes, right. like, okay. eventually you will get to a point. By time that dog's four, if you've been really consistent, consistency is the key for all of this stuff. It's just have to be consistent with corrections and understanding of things that eventually you'll find yourself that you're hardly ever using it. But I always recommend just like, hey, keep it on. You never know. You just and as soon as they start getting away with something, then and you and you miss your chance for correction, then it's gone. So, so the the other. I don't know that it's controversial. Like I don't think it's controversial, oh, but like I, 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 I want to. <laughs> sounds like it probably really is. No, yeah. no, it's not. Yeah, I just coming I, from court. I've asked the question a few times. I've gotten some answers, but I want to quickly. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but like force fetch. Okay. What What do you guys do, and what do you think the the value is in it if a dog's or it hasn't been force fetched but seems to do what force fetch is is okay. training a dog to do like naturally does it well i will begin force fetch is technically used to teach the dog how to shut pressure off that's okay. that's the main focus the byproduct of it is a fetch and a hold it's usually used to just teach that dog of here's pressure and this is what you have to do to shut it off and so that that's the main focus of the force fetch do I force fetch dogs? I do force fetch dogs. I guarantee I do it differently than most all pros do it or any amateurs do it. I, I, um, I do it a way that works for me. And I do, I mean, I'll use food through the whole thing. I try to make it because it's a negative. You're using pressure. It's negative. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I will try and use a reward, with, a reward base with that. So not only just a reward of like the reward is shutting the pressure off. No, I'll give them a food reward and I'll use their kibble for it. That's how I do it. Um, now, with the byproduct of the force fetch being a good hold, I have dogs that have really great natural holds and don't ever drop the bumper or don't ever want to drop the bumper without using force fetch. Yes, I have that. But the only way, I mean, I shouldn't say that's the only way to teach them how to shut off pressure, but that's that's like one of the way, main ways to teach the dog to shut off the pressure. So you can collar condition the dog with known commands like sit, uh, place, here, and all that stuff and, and use that as a basis for conditioning the dog to the collar. Um, and a lot of guys will use like a ear pinch for force fetch or a toe hitch. Um 
I don't use either one of those because I basically, I teach, (laughs) I teach the dog fetch and hold before I even put a collar on them. So I will walk them through this just as I told you, like with training without a collar for so long, you learn how to teach the dogs this stuff. So you're talking, yeah, without an e-collar, yep, without an e-collar that if I teach this dog what fetch and hold is that if I tell you fetch, you need to hang on to it before I ever put an e-collar on the dog, then it should be so much easier for the dog because they know what I'm asking them to do. And now all they have to do is just follow through with what I'm asking them to do. And I will start the dog off. And like I said, I'm, I'm walking you through what my pro- program is and the way I do it. You'll run You'll talk to 10 of us and oh, we'll yeah. have 10 yeah. different answers yeah. on the whole thing. Cause this is already, this yeah. is the third different answer. Yeah. I, so <laughs> I will, I will literally, I will literally start with vibrate and some trainers mm-hmm. would rather all e-collars never have vibrate on them, but I will always start with vibrate because nine times out of 10 with these dogs vibrate is enough to make them mm-hmm. not follow through with the command. Oh. And that's what the focus of it is, is do you apply a little bit of change or stimulation to them to, all of a sudden their brain like is what is that? And then now they're not following through with the command. They already know what fetch is. I know they know what fetch is because I taught it to them. And so I'm telling them to fetch and I hit vibrate at the same time and they're not opening their mouth. They got to figure that out. And so even with that, I will help them through that process. I will, I will grab their mouth. I will help them open their mouth and I will put the bumper inside their mouth and be like, okay, we're walking through this. We're doing it in steps. And so once we get through the vibrate where the vibrate doesn't seem to bother them, they're doing fetch and all that stuff. Yeah. We'll get into whatever their stimulation level is that they need to have on the e-collar. Um, and then and that's, and like I said, I'll do this with food all the way through but I will do the traditional, the walking fetch and all the other steps to it. I, don't necessarily force to pile on some of these other things that are a full force program. Um, but yeah, that as far as the force fetch, that's kind of how I walk through it. And so like Roosevelt, I obviously didn't know anything about training still know very, very little, but he was like from early on, we were teaching him fetch, right? And he would, he'd pick up whatever you, you told him to fetch, right? You'd be walking along. You're like, fetch, you pick up your hat, give it to you, you know, like in, yeah. And I didn't, I was like, oh, he's got it. Doesn't, I don't need to force fetch, right? Yep. Like I yep. didn't, he, what's there to do, right? He's already doing, he's already carrying that thing around in his mouth. Well, then you get out in the field and he picks up a duck, right? And he gets it out of the water, lays it down on shore, shakes off, picks the duck back up, right? Which yep. can be a problem if you got a cripple. Yes. So it's like, that's where I'm going back going like, ah, oh, I should have force fetched him, right? So yeah. he wouldn't have done that. Yep. He would just, so now I'm trying to train him you know, you don't get, you don't take the time to shake off. You get me the bird right away, you know, bird to hand right away. So now I'm having to overcome that little hurdle and that bad, you know, that bad habit maybe. I will say you don't need force fetch to fix that. All it is is just teaching the dog that he needs to hang on to it until you complete the retrieve. Okay. I mean, and that's where I come in with like teaching the dog versus trying to use the collar to get the dog to do what you want it to do. Um, Physically, all he needs to be do is taught to hang on to it. And the specific situation you're talking about is you will always have that with almost every dog. Okay. They will do everything perfect on land, but when they come out of the water, that dog wants to shake so bad that they drop the bumper. And all you have to do is teach. And honestly, I'll tell you that most of the time, the only thing you have to do is be close to the edge of the water, 
and grab their scruff, not in a physical harmful right, right. manner, but you know, that natural scruff that the mom uses and everything like that, just grab a hold of that scruff. And naturally what he's going to do is probably freeze just like hold still and be like, good. And now we just got to help him sit okay. with it in his mouth. And then there you go. Okay. And once you teach him that is what is expected, that's all you need to do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there it's, you go, Corey. It, see, that's, <laughs> that alone paid for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it's like you start seeing, and I talk to people about force fetch, and they're like, they're, here's the advantages, you know. And so, like, I'm trying, I'm working on the fact that I didn't force fetch them. Like, now I'm going to each one of those different scenarios. So, like, if we're walking around a slough, right, or like he goes to the other side, like, whatever the scenario is, maybe I'm taking him out and he's finding a bird that we dropped 100 yards into the grass. Well, I want him to carry that bird all the way back. Yep. Right. By himself. Yep. So like getting him to not like drop it and go in a different direction, like getting him to carry that bird even after he's made the retrieve. Yes. You know? And so it's like, I understand some of what, uh, the force fetch left out in the yeah. training. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, like you said, now I'm just working on those, those instances, you yeah. know, those scenarios yep. and, yeah, the, the byproduct of the force fetch would have taken care of a mm-hmm. lot of that. But at the same time, it's something that's not too far gone that you could just easily, if he'll fetch a bumper, and now all you got to do is just teach him he's got to hang on to it longer. Yeah, yeah, so you just yeah. extend the period that he has to hold just it. Walk him around the yard with it in his mouth. Yep, and yep, Okay. Yep. Yep. I, it's just a matter of just, you know, putting it back in and just letting him know, like, no, I didn't, I didn't tell you you could drop that yet. So I haven't really trained a puppy for nine years mm-hmm. and now I got another one. Um, haven't put a lot of work into him, but I wanted what I've been told um, is to, to make sure a hundred percent of obedience is done before really getting into water work, field work, any of that. Um, but I, I wanted to like the sit, stay, heal place. I mean, wh- he can sit, he can come. I mean, all that stuff he retrieves. What, what is your take on that, um, on that side of, of training? Because I, I, I want an obedient dog. Again, I don't know where he came from. Yeah. So I will say I, I recommend loose obedience on a puppy. Okay. I, I seen it go bad if you over-obedience a dog. So I'd rather try and – I'd rather have retrieving desire than obedience so right now. Yep. Just have fun. Yep. Okay. And if you, if you, you can always steady the dog. Yeah. It'll come. I I just, I wouldn't, for me personally, and it may do nothing, but it's just what I do is if I'm just doing free throws, I will say the dog's name as I throw it. If we're just out playing in the yard, I'll just throw the bumper and say the name at the same time and just kind of give them a little correlation of like, Hey, I said your name. That means go get that bumper. Yeah. So I've been doing water work and kind of throwing the bumper you know, as long 15 as 15 feet and holding his collar yep. just so he sits next to me yep. and he's still enjoying it. And then I'll, I'll release it and say his name yep. and yep. he's right. Yeah. And all that's perfectly fine to do as well. I okay. just, I just, I've seen it go bad. If you over obedience, yeah. the dog, okay. um, for me, it's loose obedience. And then as the dog advances through training, the obedience just comes around with it naturally. Okay. Cause you're just expecting the dog to do more and more. Now I'm, I'm saying like I would go through place, sit, I, I want them to be really good about coming back because that's going to cause a problem if they don't return, if you throw he's, a bumper. So he's pretty good right now. Yeah. yeah and so I like have, what you're doing right now is I just kind of keep going, keep it fun. Uh, just boost that 
excitement for retrieving yeah that desire yeah i think i, I need to buy a, a place board because i i know having them elevated just it really a, helps yeah. it'll make a big difference yeah. for you for yeah. sure because uh, he he kind of just they have to make a conscious decision to step off right if they're gonna break and if they're it, touching that ground they no. know there's <laughs> and i'm not opposed i don't do it much anymore i mean I, I go through phases with some of this stuff but if you just get out a little rubber mat sometimes and put it next to you that and mm. the dog understands like that's where they're supposed to stay until you say the name but place training for me is a big deal and i feel like it's got more advantages than just out in the field it's got oh i use it all the time at home yeah i used it today at the vet yep i told hank to go place on to get weighed yep mm. and he climbs right up there sits isn't it amazing there. how like, and they're like they're so amazed what? by that simple little <laughs> right. thing that we do with these it's dogs like, is that and then i just and then he stepped off he sat next to it and i put ford on there yeah and i mean he's a puppy so i kind of yeah. had to hold him but yep. i just and they're like he's so good it's like he's just listening yep yep well and the thing is is that <laughs> you think about it waterfowl hunting there's a lot of obedience in with it. So as you advance through the training aspect of waterfall hunting, just more and more obedience comes along with it. Cause now eventually I'm going to expect you to sit there on place while I'm running another dog. Yeah. And so See, now Hank, that steadiness this, is going to, it's going to be good. Well, Hank is yeah, what, he's, nine. He's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's getting probably, he'll probably have his free reign for a little bit longer. And then, yeah, he, um, he does not like to share. Yeah. He does not <laughs> like to share at all. It's tough because I, he never had to. Yeah. Never ran him with other dogs. Yeah. Ever. And that's so. the thing, like for me, train. I tell a lot of people, these dogs, if I'm going to go out there and say, I'm training your dog for a half hour, if I'm training your dog for a half hour straight, there's no way. That's not going to happen usually. I mean, even if you're running big, big setups, I would say that you're going to have, you know, 10, 15 minutes into the stuff on most training sessions for the okay. dog. And then that's it. So short. Yep. Very short. short. Even, even like, so with your puppy, definitely short. For yep. sure. It might yep. be, for me, it was always, I will use your kibble. I will use your meal for the day. And if it's a puppy and you're feeding them twice a day, you can do one training session a day or you can do two. It doesn't matter, but they're going to end up being about five to 10 minutes. Cause after okay. that, you're going to start losing focus with them yeah. anyway. Which, yeah, I see but that. With my older dogs, I tell them they're, they may have to run a five minute setup, but they're going to sit there while while five other dogs have to run that setup as well too. And for a lot of these dogs, that's, that's work in itself to sit there and watch another dog. go. So they really have to focus on that. But at the end of the day, that's you're creating a more steady dog Mm -hmm. and a dog that's used to watching other dogs. It's very common for people to be out there with two or three dogs and hunting. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just good for that dog to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I've shared it on this podcast, but I had uh, Rosa. So I trained him that myself that first year, and he's going into his first hunting season, his first hunt. Um, controlled, what I thought was a controlled environment, right? Like I'm not hunting. We're just going to have kind of a wood duck shoot. Maybe we get, you know, six or eight wood ducks, you know, kind of scattered that we can knock down, and, and uh, it'll be nice and easy for him, right? Like no other hunters on this marsh. And right away I get him out of the kennel, you know, it's dark, right? You're getting set up in the morning. And that was something that I was like, I never ran him. I never trained him in the dark. Right. So as soon as he gets out of the kennel and all he sees the headlamps shooting down the ground, he's like, what am I doing here? You know, like it's totally new environment for him. So he's going crazy, you know, just amped up. So then we go out and start throwing decoys out. Well, he's, I've, I trained him with decoys like in the daylight hours. Right. And he's just seeing lights and 
ducks splashing him from, and he has no clue. And he's just out in the water. And I'm like, none of this. And I'm like, he never does this in training, you know? And then we get to daylight, ducks start coming in. You know, he's not gun shy or anything. And he was pretty steady. Um, and, you know, dropped two ducks right in front of him. One's still kind of splashing around. So he's got them marked. And so I get, I get down there by him and I'm like, all right, this is going to be your first retrieve. We're all excited for this moment. And I'm like, Roosevelt. And he just sits there. Did not move. Did not. And I was like, Roosevelt. Nothing. Right? Like just staring straight out. Just frozen. Like literal stage fright. And I lit- I'm sitting there. And I'm going like, ducks are flying now. I'm like, I got to get them back in his, in his uh, blind. So I get back in there. I'm just like, I don't, what is going on, man? Like. You know, they drop a couple more ducks and get back out there. I get them lined up. I'm like, Roosevelt, and he's just frozen. I'm like, this dog's not going to retrieve, right? Like, I'm throwing, like, I'm like, all this training, and this dog will not retrieve. And I was starting to get amped up. So I just, like, took a deep breath, sat, I, like, put my arm around him. I was like, hey, man, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I just started talking to him like I was talking to my son on his first hunt or something, yeah. you know? And I was just like, it's good, man. We're good. And just, I sat there for a minute. And I just calmed myself down, tried to get him to just, and then I was like, Roosevelt. And he went, like, did everything perfect and, like, never did that again. The rest of his, you know, the the next two, what is he this is third season. You know, and it was just like, I never thought about any of that stuff as being a problem for him. Oh, yeah. You know, like, and I trained and I trained in different environments. Um, and I never thought about those things, Right. Headlamps, dark, yep. you know, how is he going to respond? What do I do if he doesn't respond? Like, I didn't know any of that. Yep. And that, those are things I wish I knew or I wish I knew how to handle or get ahead of, you know, so it didn't take so long that first season to kind of get him yeah. in the groove. Usually even a dog that I've had for five, six, seven months, it doesn't matter how long I had it for training. Their first hunting season, I tell everybody, is like, tie the dog up. Okay. Just tie him up. I don't want, especially now, the e-collar dogs is the last thing I want you to do is have a dog break and you hit it with the e-collar on his first hunt. That's awful. You can't do that to the dog. Mm-hmm. He's just doing what he thinks he should do. So I tell everybody to tie him up. And ideally is until that you can watch the dog and you can see the dog watching the birds come in and making that connection of like, okay, they're shooting that bird, that bird's dropping, Okay, that's what I need to go get. Because it could take, for some of these dogs, it could take two, three, four hunts before they actually yeah. figure out. They're used to, for me, they're used to seeing birds just magically appear out in the field, like come out yeah, of that right. launcher <laughs> or come out of that winger. They're not used to watching a bird in the sky fly in and get a shot. So it's yeah. all new to them. There's only so much that we, we can, usually they'll get a shot flyer while they're with us at, in training, but as far as the actual hunting scenario, it goes back to the owner to actually teach them how to hunt. We can teach them Would, the things they need to know, but the, the, your style and the way you hunt, they have to learn that. And like the gear they're going to be around, right? Oh, like it yeah. just, it, there's so many things that you just can't be prepared for, yeah. right? Or you can't prepare a dog for. It's just real world experiences. You, you got to roll with it yeah. and make the dog comfortable with yeah. it. I mean, like you said, side by sides. Would mm-hmm. you, um, recommend so if i were to take my be what nine months ten months old maybe take him out with hank this season and not even hunt him just let him watch hank or is that too young is it hard to tell 
it's hard to say. I mean, yeah. I, I would say that normally that would be fine. I, I, we not in a habit of trying to tell people to hunt their dog at nine and 10, 11 months old. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Just come yeah. out and watch and just figure it out. And I think that'd be good for them, especially on small hunts. Yeah. I mean, like at my house, it's, yeah. like it's I mean, a it, blind. It's yeah. Yep. Yep. Just out there and just kind of see what's going on and watch yeah. it happen. And it's the same thing out. Like a lot of times if I have a puppy or a potential stud dog that I have as a puppy during hunting season, I'm going to take them with me. They'll stay back up in the truck, but when or be out while we set up and run around and everything and then put them away. And then while we pick up, get the puppy back out just mm. so it's around yeah. this stuff. It's used to the yeah. stuff and that wouldn't hurt at that age. They're about ready to, I mean, especially as long as you've gone over gunfire and all the other things. I didn't, but then 4th of July came around pretty <laughs> quick and I was like, huh, he's not gun shy. <laughs> well, we, we had Roosevelt, we got him in 2020 and, uh, you couldn't buy any blanks or anything for training, yeah. right? Like, yeah. I don't know. Oh, well, yeah. You, oh, you experienced hard this. to come by. They hard were, like, impossible. So I had to train Roosevelt with little firecrackers. You know, oh, we'd yeah. like, <laughs> I'd, like, have my daughter or son or so, someone light the firecracker and, like, toss it off to the side, you know, like, close enough to him where it was, that's the best we could do, yeah. you know? Like, it was, I certainly wasn't going to blow through you know, the boss shot shells, you know, <laughs> firing those off. Well, and it's hard, hard to, to get, yeah, you know, hard you to come by any, any yeah. type of ammo at yeah. all. It's crazy times. I mean, the good thing is we had tons of time to train dogs because yeah, right. you yeah. could still do that legally, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yep. So, um, obviously you've been in this dog training for, for a long time now. Um, you've seen the, the change. I'm sure you've seen the change in the industry. And just the the time you've been involved in like what, what the standards are, right? Like I talked to guys that were, you know, 10, 15 years ago, health checks to the level they're done now weren't done by anybody but the top kennels, right? Yes. Like these uh, private breeders weren't doing, they certainly weren't doing any of no. that. And now it's almost like you have to do that to even have a, have a dog that you could sell. At well, least in the hunting world. Yeah, and that's the thing. Is it, I feel like it's more the consumer being more educated okay. on this stuff. And I feel like just people are better about putting that education out there to know that they should have their dog's hips and elbows checked and their eyes checked and just do all these uh, you know, DNA tests if you need to for hereditary diseases okay. and stuff. So uh, it just... To get your dog fully health tested, I think it's more common knowledge now for okay. people to do yeah, that. Yeah, I wouldn't. I didn't and, know anything about it in the past. You know, when yeah. I had my blue ticks and stuff, that was. I mean, blue ticks are a different breed <laughs> anyway. <laughs> like, but that's you almost story. want them to be like in the worst conditions because it makes them more legit. You know, like, this has got to be a quality dog. Look who's got them. Yeah, you know. But it's yeah. yeah. I never had that introduction to it, and then you get to, um, you know, like with Roosevelt's parents you know and like going through those health checks and like just the the anticipation like are they gonna pass so we're actually gonna have a a, you know a a litter yeah yep it's all new to me there's a lot more to it than what people think too is like they i feel like a lot of people think that it's like oh why why haven't they had a litter yet why haven't they had puppies yet and it's like do you understand that we this is on mother nature we have to wait for her to come into season before we can actually have a litter what is what is the like your general rule of thumb for for your guys's dogs on how old the female is or is it highly variable on when she has her for us it's usually that has to be their third heat cycle and over two okay for the most part like 
for us, we like so over in the UK, they will health test their dogs at one. They got a system that they can health test their dogs over at one for their hips and elbows and eyes. You can do whenever, even here. But here in the states, it's OFA is the dog has to be two. We have a guy that will shoot films and send them over to the UK and get them read over there at one. So it helps us with that stuff on some. And then now we're getting them tested more along the lineage of what they're used to being tested okay. at as well, too. But for the most part, just but as far as being healthy for the female is we we like to wait to two on that is like they're fully developed their bone structure is fully developed and it's just healthier for them now as far as that too is usually by time they're six is usually about when we retire them from breeding okay. as well too and how so many breedings would they have had generally we'll get four breedings we okay. usually do wow. one a year That's um, not, yeah. and and we usually one cycle on and one cycle mm-hmm. off so uh it gives them time to to recover and regain that muscle mass and regain the health yeah. that they had beforehand okay. um now there's all kinds of schools of thoughts out there is that they're they're meant to have puppies every cycle you know i mean you could you get all kinds of opinions, but that's usually yeah. how we operate is it's usually every other cycle we will breed. Um, now we've had to sell some females before the four litters because just either there's complications or they didn't handle the pregnancy well okay. or whatever it is. But most of the time after, after we're done with the breeding, obviously they're usually a trained dog and, and we technically could probably sell them for money and everything. But most of the time when we retire them, we just find a nice home for them to just go and enjoy the rest of their life. Okay. They've, they've already given everything to us. And that's right. the hard part about it. I mean, yeah. and a lot of people can't comprehend that because it's their, most of the time their pets are their family members and you know, that they couldn't even think about getting rid of the dog. Um, obviously ours is more of a business mindset. I still love all of them. I still love each and every one of them, but Mm -hmm. I love them enough to know that staying with us is not the right thing for them. It's, they're much better off moving on to another home Mm -hmm. where they're going to get that attention that they deserve. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of like you're, if you keep them, you're spreading your attention and, and everything amongst more dogs and each dog you have is getting less care yes yep. so i mean it's, it makes it, perfect it's, sense it's tough for us anyway because as many client dogs as we have and we have a lot of personal dogs but the personal dogs always get pushed to the back so client dogs come first and then personal dogs get ran after the client dogs are done what is your like what is the process right now for getting a puppy from southern oak kennels north well uh from so well you need to go on to Southern Oak Kennel's website and okay. there's an application on there. So we have, I, I'd have to run through on my head, but we got like nine different locations that might be wrong. I'd have to actually go through it I all. think, yeah, I think you're right there. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, it's somewhere around that. I just looked today and yeah. I was like, wow, they're up to, it was eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we have a lot of locations and we have, uh, and all of them are producing puppies. Not all of them train the number of dogs that we do. And definitely don't have as many breeding females as we do. Um, but, yeah, so you would go on to Southern Oak Kennel's uh, website, and then there's an app, there's a puppy application on there. And you'll, you'll click the link for the puppy application and fill out that application. And then usually Barton will get back with you. It's hard to say. Hopefully within a week. Sometimes it might be two weeks. I mean, there's always family vacations. There's always things that's coming up. Um, and then sometimes Don will step in there as well and help out Barton with the applications. Okay. So that that's the best process to, to go it, through that. Is that typically like don't plan on getting a dog for the next year? 
type of waiting list or is it two years or what's the usually that's the case i mean it's kind of shortened down now a little bit so i mean i wouldn't be afraid to put in an application right now and you may have a chance to get one before a year okay um but definitely it's i wouldn't expect to be able to get one right away right but yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean it's almost this, that way. No it, matter what, if you're going, if you're trying to select certain genetics or be selective in what dog you get, no matter where you go, it's going to be yeah. a year because you got to actually get the breeding done. Yeah. First. Yep. Yep. And that's the so. thing is usually when you send that application and they will run through and whatever you filled out and try and figure out what the best fit is for you and usually give you two or three choices to to look over okay. for as far as the breedings okay. and that gives you time to go back through into the website and look at the stud and look at the, the dame and see if that's something that interests you. But Some I mean, good looking dogs, man. Yeah. I will say I, though too, is like, you know, we usually, re, we reserve the right to change the stud dog. And, and usually the only reason why we change a stud dog is just for the better of the breeding. So a lot of, some people get uh, upset and offended because it's not like with the same stud that they signed up for, but we don't make those changes lightly. I mean, it's, it's usually a change that we feel like is for the better. So, so some, uh, someone could go through the website and pick their, you know, like whatever, well, they're actually not going to know what breedings are going to take place. Right. So you guys, that's the thing is they can't, they can't say, Hey, I want, I got this stud Raymond and I want him bred to Betty. And it's like, well, "Well, that's never going to happen. What level can they do? (laughs) Can they say like, I want a litter from this stud? And they wait yes. for that. Yeah, yeah, they could do that. They could say, "Well, I w- I just want one from this stud," or they could say, "I want one from this dame." Right. Um, but like I said, when they fill out that application, usually they'll give like three suggestions. And, and on the web, on the application, I believe that you can make comments and stuff like that okay. on there to narrow down everything for us okay. and make it easier. But I bad but i probably say i haven't ever looked at the application myself so (laughs) you don't need to right like you're not buying a dog from southern oak kennels um it's yeah it's interesting to me because um the the process so when we we got our pup i literally was watching the female work in the field like doing hunt tests in the field at the same time my wife was watching the male we didn't know they were planning on breeding them. Okay. And I came to her and I was like, you should see this dog over here. Like so well behaved. It's just a sweet, sweet dog. And she's going like, oh no, you got to see this one. And then we go talk to one of the owners is like, actually we're breeding those two dogs. And they're like, huh, you know, like that's perfect. perfect yeah. Right. <laughs> but like that's, it's got to be real hard um, for somebody to make a decision on this puppy that they may spend eight to 10 grand on when it's all said and done after training and uh, you know, everything you do with a, a quality puppy to not know like the parents or not know what, is there a way for them to actually dig in deep and know what the personalities and characters of these dogs are that are getting bred? Is it all on the website or There's, is there a way for them to, to visit the kennel they're coming yeah. from? Like, what's the process yeah. there for them? So there's a description on there for the stud dogs, I believe. We don't have yeah. it for all the females. But, yes, uh, kennel visits can always be arranged. And we have people that come out and visit the kennel all the time. And they want to see some of the dogs run. We always welcome that as well. Uh, like you said, like, come out and see the dog. Come out and meet them. Yeah. Um, so that we can get a better understanding of, of what you're looking at. Um but yeah, it, that that's the best way to do it is to probably schedule a visit. 
Yeah, because like if I was if I was interested in getting a dog, I my first step would be, oh, I'll go to the kennel and just watch them train and just be like, yeah. oh, I really like that dog. When are you going to be breeding that dog next and go through that? Like that would be my natural progression is trying to go that way. Yeah, but it cool. sounds like you guys have a system that's like, it's more hierarchical. So like you start here and then we'll filter it down to maybe these two or three that you that yeah. fit your yeah. what yeah. you're looking for. And the thing is, is like a lot of people may think they know what they're looking for, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we know the dogs. And if you kind of describe what you're looking for, we try and put you in that okay. category where you would have the best chance of getting what you want. Cause you probably get quite a few people too. They're just looking for a pet, right? Are they, are they yeah. almost all hunting? <laughs> Most of them are. Okay. Most of them are hunting. Now we are getting more more pet and stuff like that as well too. But most I would say just like like doesn't. I don't want to say grinds your gears a little bit, but you just know the potential of those dogs. It's hard. I mean, at some point, it's it's a sale. So you know, I know, but but like it's like carving a decoy. It's like me carving a decoy. No one's going to go on the shelf or knowing one's going to be hunted over. They're definitely like, they're different, (laughs) but you still accept your vote. Like, yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah. 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 I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. There's breedings out there that I'm like, and then they're just buying one of them and then it's going to be a pet. I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Okay. All right. What about my money? Do they know what they're capable of doing? (laughs) What about therapy dogs? Is that something that's that's becoming more popular? Service dogs, agility dogs. Um, you know, scent work dogs, all of that's becoming more popular and, and we get people looking for that stuff all the time as well. Um, you know, we've got a couple that are service dogs and waterfowl dogs at the same time oh, cool. and overlapping some of that stuff. Um, so yeah, the, the possibility, I mean, these dogs are capable of doing all that stuff. They're and smart. And the thing is though, is that it, as we all know, the dogs always make better pets when they have a job anyway. They're working right, dogs. At right. the end of the day, they're working dogs. Mm-hmm. Can you make them happy of just being a house dog? And yeah, but nine times out of 10, you're going to have struggles in the early years while they have all kinds of energy that if you just had a job for them. Yeah. They pout around anyway. Yeah. They're not, I mean, <laughs> like Roosevelt gets a little taste and then he pouts around. It's like, why can't I be back in the water? Yeah. Um, yeah. Ford just lays just like this and just looks at me. It's like, let me do something. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's uh, obviously Southern Oak Kennels, the, the the brand and what you guys are doing speaks for itself. Like the growth that it's had. I mean, it's got to be one of the we fastest all, growing, like, and because of its reputation. Yeah. You know? And it's all, you know, Barton started it all and then he's mm-hmm. created this whole network of, and, and we're all different. We all have our own little things, but uh, we all work hard at trying to produce the best dogs that we can. So, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we could go all day on that I training. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you answering those questions. I mean, there was some just kind of basic ones that I hear a lot and I had questions on. Well, like I said, um, you talk to any trainers, you're going to usually, most of us aren't going to agree on stuff. So <laughs> it's the nature of the beast. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm after this podcast, I'm kind of gets me excited to, to train again. Yeah. I, I, I just trained Hank to a point, you know, and he was good enough for me because I never mm-hmm. field trialed or hunt tested him or anything. He just, if he retrieved that duck and held it in his mouth and listened, it's all I needed. Yeah. Um, so now it's going to be fun to 
to do it again. Some of those steps, I and mean, once you get into the the handling and stuff like that for the dogs and the whistle stops and that stuff's really rewarding too. Though well, I mean, like if you can kind of push into running blind retrieves, yeah, that's that's fun. That's so, when it becomes like, oh, watch this! I can make my dog go over here and pick this up. He doesn't know it's there, but he he'll find it. I was uh, just camping up at Silver Lake over Memorial Day and running Hank through the water, and there was a uh, like campsite right on the water, and uh, they're asking about Hank and all this stuff. I was like, just watch this. So I threw a bumper way out there, had him sit at their campsite across the road. It was just like the two track. Went all the way to the water, threw the bumper. He still sat, walked all the way back, um, released him on his name, and then stopped him at the water, and then whistled him back. And then stopped him again and then told him back. And they're like, what just happened? <laughs> I mean, it was just all play stuff yeah, for, for yeah, him. Yeah. But just to see, like, yeah. people don't see that. Yeah. I mean, it was showing off a little bit, but. Yeah. Well, I, I had well the thing is, like, a lot of people don't understand how much these dogs can actually do. And then actually they go out there and watch this SRS stuff. It's going to be like mind-blowing to them that yeah. these dogs are actually capable of doing that stuff i They're know smart animals i don't know yeah i don't know what the psychological effect is gonna have on me <laughs> like i may be like <laughs> just down in the mouth like i thought you were a smart dog when i get back home like yeah you dumbass you know like i don't know what kind of effect it's gonna have on me they play up to their owner's ability <laughs> there it is Uh-oh. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be a great way to start the vacation to the whole road trip. I'm gonna just this is what we're gonna do when I get home. Yeah. Oh. You know? Like it is gonna it's either gonna get me disappointed in where I'm at, or it's gonna it's gonna be like, okay, well maybe he's not so far off on some of these things. Yeah. Right? Like no. or give me some inspiration to like he's take not it a to the next dog. level. Yeah. No, no, yeah. he's not. But like he can he can I I need to see I need to see it in action. Right? Yeah. Like I need to see that the highest yeah. level dogs. come out to the kennel, spend yeah. a half a day out there with me running dogs and ask questions and yeah. just look over some of yeah. that stuff. That's we so welcome that as well. He's there we every should, day. We should do a, uh, we should do a follow up <laughs> podcast where we gather like questions on dog training questions and, and vet questions. Okay. And we sit down with, we Ooh. circle back with Wally and Dr. Pete. Okay. And we had like just a hundred percent, like full ask circle. anything dog related at the kennel. Yeah, at the kennel. <laughs> the dogs yipping in the background. Now you guys are putting the pressure on me. <laughs> no, it'd be yeah. if you were running dogs at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's out of breath like, yeah. yeah, this is what you want to do. Force fetch. Beep. Yeah. Beep. <laughs> uh, no, it's, I'm looking forward to what you guys have put together with the SRS event. And um, we'll, we'll put all that info. We'll try and get this turned around quick. Oh, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's up. That was a wink wink to me. Well, because it's, time, it's very time we sensitive. We as in you, me. <laughs> yeah, for all those listening, like, I don't do anything. I just show up here at my own shop. That's all right. I mean, we and had they, to make this pretty easy. There's yeah. hardly any editing that has to be very, done. Very, no, you very, guys nailed it. This will be very easy. Um, so, yeah, I'll, we'll put all that info for the event, and then um, we'll put some of the Southern Oak Kennels links and, awesome. and things like that, too, that are so people can find this application and... Um, or maybe reach out to you. What is the best way? Like if, if someone wanted to, I don't really want to say if someone's got a dog training question, like that's not, <laughs> but like, 
if they got a question about your channel right or want to yeah, <laughs> want to come visit or to check yeah, out the dog. I think the best way is is through that website. Okay. If you if you send in, there's I believe there's a way to contact us okay. and everything on there. Yeah. Um, and the emails get checked every day. Okay. Um, so that's the best way to kind of get a hold of somebody, and then the messages can be filtered down. Okay. I mean, it's not uncommon to get phone calls and everything like that, but like we want to go through the website and get all the emails and go through the steps and to to get a hold of us. Obviously. Yeah. I'm busy with 40 client dogs, not myself personally, but between me, Cody, and Philip, we have a lot of training dogs. And then that includes that's that many clients to answer to as well. So yeah, right. it, it's pretty Plus, time consuming keeping everybody informed on how their dog's doing. So are you guys, are you handling the breeding too? Like, I mean, what, who's well, handling all the so, litters? Yeah. It, like at our location, Don and I decide for the most part yeah. of like what we're going to do for breedings and everything like that. And all the other locations, like I, Barton's always available for input and uh, what he feels we should do and everything like that. But for the most part, each location can kind of make that decision. But yeah, as far as like the breedings, the whelping of the pups, we do, uh, excuse me, for all of us at Southern Oak Kennels, we do that. Don and okay. I do that right now. Wow. So. Um, yeah, it, it's a lot. And thankfully we both, you know, I have a fiance and uh, that is like very much, very helpful with okay. that stuff. Awesome. Thankfully, yeah. because team effort, everybody right? loves a puppy unless yeah. you're raising puppies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are cute and they start making messes and you have to, and clean then they them start up. eating everything. Oh yeah. I got yeah. I got to figure that out. It's always easy when the mom's still in there taking care of them because the mom keeps everything clean and takes care of the puppies and, yeah. But yeah, as soon as you uh, wean the mom off them, then that's somebody else has to clean up the mess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm looking forward to checking out the duck farm too and what you've been doing out there, Mike. So there you go. go take a tour. Yeah. Yeah. I'm what? not going to, I'm not going to like take all your time on Friday, Saturday, Sunday to do that. Cause you're going to be too busy, but like, I'm definitely going to have to get down there and check out some of that habitat work you've done. And, and those that are, are, how far is the boss shop from the farm? Probably solid hour straight west. Okay. You just can't okay. get there in a straight line, unfortunately. So yeah, so there's no like, there's no stopping at the boss shop unless you're coming down. No, uh, no. Yeah, it wouldn't be really, it'd be out of your way no matter where you're coming from, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you're coming, if you're like in Monroe, Maybe Michigan Chicago? or something, if you're coming like east to west, you could stop or, you know, whether oh, you're going right, east to west right. or west to east yeah. across 12, that would be yeah. the only opportunity. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's Brandon's property that's, you know, Brandon's directly from boss that's hosting the hosting the event and there's one a year or yeah we just multiple? well there's tons of srs events around okay. the nation we just host one per year gotcha yep. okay and Are it's probably guys? the first one at least in the michiana ohio Oh, cool. area. Are they mostly down south? Typically? Mostly down south. And then there was a little circle up in minnesota on some field trial grounds up there okay um I don't know what happened out there. They didn't seem to take off. I think they only had one up there this year. So this was kind of the first run at that. And now there's Kentucky's got a couple. There's one in Ohio uh, this year. So it's, I feel like it's making its way north. And there's good dogs up here to be running it too. I mean, it's, it's not bad to have all the people from out of state come in. I mean, they're welcome and they're great people, great dogs. But uh, I was telling Wally that I'd love to see some of these really good, talented dogs around here show up and and run and, uh, are you are you doing it like do you pl- have plans to do it again next year yeah like is it a long-term goal to, to yep okay so people that can't make it this year like find a way to get on a list or somewhere so they get notified or 
keep an eye out for registration for next. Yeah, stay tuned. Or, you know, go follow, like, the Super Retriever Series yeah. on Facebook. And the, the, every year in the springtime, they'll release, like, our, those initial events. So okay. you get a whole date list of when they are. And okay. we, I think our application generally goes in January time frame, just to, so they can frame it up, see how the weekends land. And you want to make sure you're not conflicting with any of the other local tests. Okay. So. Oh, cool. Well, I'm excited. excited. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll, I'll try to swing down there. I don't know what our weekend looks like, but... It's Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, guys. Appreciate thank you. it. Yeah, thank I'll you. Get back to work. Yeah, <laughs> I know you got a lot yeah. to do still. Thank you. All right.